This is Coda Radio, a very special holiday edition for 2016. everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode's brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and this week we're doing something that honestly is the worst. I hate the holidays. I hate best ofs. They're never our best work. They're never our best of. How can you encapsulate everything we did in one episode? And the holidays are a total derailment to my productivity. It's the worst. It is absolutely the worst. So, in that spirit, we've put together something that's not half bad for you. It is a look back at some of the things we've covered. Now, I'm not going to say it's our best of. I won't say it because you can't put Coda Radio in a box. But I'll say it's some darn good stuff. Some, some stuff. It's not bad. You know, one of the things that was really interesting, actually, is the theme of native versus hybrid throughout the entire year, or hybrid versus native. Something else that I want to talk about today is, I don't, I don't mean to overstate this, but uh, who just said it in the chat room? Arch Uber Valley just suggested as a title, One Language to Rule. Now, we've always talked about one language to rule them all, you know, all this kind of stuff that is never going to be the case because there's so many edge cases. There's so many specific reasons why one language couldn't rule them all. But is it possible that one language could get really damn close and rule 90 percent? Could one language maybe come close to ruling it all? Are you talking? Uh, Ah, don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Because before we get to that, uh, I think we ought to talk about the the app apocalypse. Before, yes, apocalypse yeah. now. Yeah, the uh, yeah, yes, yes. Uh, and this is an article over on uh, Ars Technica, and uh, is they say uh, that uh, it's going to have to go to web standards. There's currently a, a whole litany of problems with apps. The platform lock-in, of course. Updating apps is a pain, and users often ignore it, leaving broken, vulnerable versions long after they've been patched. Apps are also always a lot of work for developers. It's, re- it's, fairly, uh, it's not fairly easy to write apps that are native on both iOS and Android, let alone Windows and BlackBerry. So the alternative? Well, crap. Use a web browser. That's right. Use the web browser. Updates HTML apps happen entirely on the server, so users get them immediately. There's no yep. window of vulnerability between release of a security fix and the user applying the update. So with a capable HTML-based platform and a well-designed program it makes good u- that makes good use of CSS... Problem solved. Currently, standards are advancing rapidly in the area of mobile web applications as part of the emerging HTML5 platform. The goal, backed strongly by Google and Mozilla, is for websites to be able to do anything that a native app can. If this happens, native apps may no longer be necessary or even desirable. Standard bodies have been hard at work developing interfaces to control graphics, device notifications, data storage, payments, GPS, compass, accelerometer, and other sensors. Forms, multimedia, and more and the W3C maintains a roadmap of the standard efforts developed and even recently completed. Among the efforts jump-started by the HTML5 apps was the future W3C web payments API standard that would define how web applications interact with mobile wallets and other payment systems. 
Obviously, web applications don't work when there's no network to connect to. A middle ground application called hybrid addresses this, but at a cost. Now, this is the part I'm curious to get your input on. Hybrid apps use native operating system web browser controls to open full screen windows, but they look and behave like native apps, including requiring a download from an app store. Hybrid apps get access to the hardware features unavailable through the web through third-party tools, mostly based on Apache Cordova. Hardware supporting Cordova for iOS and Android is excellent, but spotty elsewhere. So web standards and you use the gap, you fill the gap with Cordova, and maybe I'll just wrap it up before you jump in. Uh, He links to a few things that are in progress, like uh, initiatives for uh, web VR and other things. Your thoughts, Mr. Dominic? So, I mean, obviously, you know, I have a big investment in the hybrid app space, right? I think that's the most reasonable solution for the problem we're facing. Um, But I I would caution that with a few things. One, people who've done Cordova, what we're talking about with modern hybrid apps are are a lot better and a little more, let's just say, performant than straight Cordova apps. So, so you're that. saying? Are you saying it's not your grandpa's uh, a hybrid app? It's, it, it is. It is not your grandpa's phone gap. Basically, it's not <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah, but I, you know, just there's a couple things, right? The idea that native apps are going to die is a little silly. I mean, one, Apple and, and Google have an interest, particularly Apple, right, in making native apps as good as possible. Um. Apple really wants to differentiate from Android. And there's just some experiences that you, you're you better off delivering through a native app for a specific platform. That's true. I mean, do you really feel like they've hobbled Safari very much? I mean, they've they've in the past, they made the, the faster JavaScript engine not available to uh, standalone web apps. But Safari itself has sort of been fairly aggressive until Chrome Mobile really stepped in to, at, at pushing. You know, yeah, with iOS 8 and iOS 9, they've, they've actually been fairly cooperative with hybrid applications. I mean, I feel like, yeah, I feel like they definitely improved it with 7 and 8, but even before then, they were some of the first to implement, like, the accelerometer and touchscreen stuff in in their mobile web browser before anybody else had it. I mean, they've been really... I mean, at what point have they really hobbled Safari? Well, not at all, right? Their initial strategy was everybody would do HTML5 apps. Right, exactly. But I I just want to walk it back a little bit, because the author of this article has said basically three different... Uh, app development strategies, totally, totally server side. Um, let's just call them mobile responsive apps, right? Even though that's an, that's a simplification, where you're literally pinning someone's home, pinning a web page to someone's phone for them. Historically, I can tell you, lots of normal users don't know that they can do that, but there is a place for that, and that place is called the enterprise, mm-hmm. where where you're. The company is paying for the phones, and you preload that onto the person's home screen. Or even a moderately advanced user who wants to have like something hosted up on DigitalOcean or something, and they want to have a, their own admin right. panel but, pinned to their screen. You know, you're accepting a lot more limitations that way in terms of performance and uh, access to features on the device than you even have with a hybrid application. Um, there are pure native applications, right? Which I, I am working on. A, literally before the show today, I am working on a purely native Android application. They have lots of places where they make sense. Let me just name three real fast. Okay, You're going for a consumer market where you have competitors, and this is something you want people to pay for. 
NATO's probably going to give you a little more, uh, a little more flash, a little more flurry than you would have otherwise. Um, you are a small to medium business, and you're simply, again, buying devices for your employees, and you know I'm only going to buy iPhones. Well, maybe just going native makes more sense. Um, the other case is a little more fuzzy. It's, you know, if you're in a very competitive market, there is a small tax with hybrid apps uh, and, and, and a much bigger tax with those, uh, let's just call them mobile responsive apps, in dealing with new APIs. Let me give you an example. Where Ionic and Cordova might catch up with an API in a couple months, and, and to be fair, they, they do a really good job. They may even get you ready to go during the beta at some point. You know, if you're a native developer, you you can as soon as the beta is released, you can just download it, throw it on a device, and be good to go. And I can think of some cases where that makes a lot of sense. Let's say you're integrating with other hardware, right? Uh, you're in the fitness or health and wellness space. Probably native is going to give you some bang for your buck. So I also so that is from a from the uh, development centric standpoint. But if I look at it from a corporate standpoint, how much of it is? Well, this is what our in-house tool chain is. Uh, our in-house tool chain is to develop web applications. Uh, we want to make web applications for our clients, et cetera, et cetera. So we make web apps. doesn't really matter what's native or not. And, and how much, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, is we'll say we start developing Swift for the front end and the back end, and now when we bring in new devices into the enterprise, we've written our apps in Swift, and so we're just doing native apps because we're writing it all in Swift anyways, which could also be a possibility. What I'm trying to say is sometimes it's not even a matter of performance or look sometimes it literally comes down to well this is the house's uh tool chain and this is how we do things well i i would i would say a couple things one a lot of uh, a lot of people i talk to and and a lot of our customers basically right are those type of enterprises that think you know maybe one day we'll take this in-house and you know we won't have to pay you a service fee basically right Mm -hmm. so you know that almost immediately excludes native but I would I would caution people. Yes, you know W3C, the standards bodies, the open source developers for, for these web technologies, and frankly Google and Apple, who are doing a lot of this stuff behind the scenes, right, are doing a really good job of imp- implementing a lot of interesting stuff just straight through the web page with those mobile responsive mm. apps. But you're probably not getting a good return on that. You're probably better off either dealing with the learning curve of going hybrid or just paying a shop and going hybrid. Because at the end of the day, what really matters is how solid is the end result, right? How how does it feel on the phone? Even if it's an internal application, you want it to not be slow because if all your employees are using it and it takes, you know, a minute to load, you have some serious problems. Or, I mean, Chris, we've been doing this for a long time. It may seem like a great cost-cutting move right now, right? But cutting yourself off from integrating with the device itself, probably not the way to go if you plan to support the software long term. Especially because uh, the competitive market dictates that these vendors keep busting out great new features that are going to require platform updates that is going to be, you know, that's where the money's going to be made when the margins are thin and uh, apps are a dime a dozen. The apps that can jump on those new platform or hardware features are the ones that make the monies. Right. Well, 
see when you're when you're looking at an enterprise space, so it's more about maintenance. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just saying that's why it's very much a matter of right. w- what what is your plan? What is your because if if you're if it's if it's the tool chain and it's this what the house uses, then that kind of platform stuff, that platform lag, you know, that doesn't affect you. That doesn't matter to you as much because honestly, you're probably not even updating all the devices uh, when the new OS comes out and the new features are available, anyways. Yeah, I mean, so the way I tend to to present it to potential clients is it's a scale. Think of it like a treadmill, right? You can go fully native. You are you're giving up cross platform, and you or you're you know doubling your costs, and you're running as fast as you can possibly go, and you're right on the tails of Apple and Google. It makes sense if you have high performance or you need a lot of, you know, you plan to update to iOS 10 when it comes out, or you and you want every new feature, or you're you know you're doing something really intensive, processing intensive. There are very few and far people that I deal with that really need that. Um, but on the other side of the spectrum, I, I really can't recommend against the the other extreme more because it seems like a good idea. It seems like you're going to say uh, the other extreme being just hosting it on a server and pinning it to the homepage. Y- you think you're going to save money, but every time I've had someone do this, like pass up on having us develop a hybrid app, and oh, we have an HTML developer here. You know, he's going to do it, and we'll be mm-hmm. fine. Three months, six months later, I get a call back. Yeah, it's running slow, and it doesn't look very good, and my employees are complaining. Um, oh, and we want to do this stuff with a camera, and it doesn't work. And we need to – whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. They saved a little bit of money you know, a quarter before, and they've only – but they're going to end up spending it anyway, and they wasted their employees' time because by not at least going hybrid, they're boxing themselves in to the browser. And really, you know – Apple and Google just don't have any interest in making that a great experience. Yeah, and it, it just adds more complication, you know, right. and it, it essentially creates a runtime that uh, you're now uh, sort of behest to what changes they make. Yeah. And ultimately, Get the hell out of here. Get out of here. You know, ultimately, I think you, if you, if you want to be developing a mobile piece of software for your employees or, or for anyone, you kind of want some sort of application management infrastructure and you probably want it to be expandable for the future. And you may not know what that future is. So don't box yourself in. There was a big news that affected Coda Radio in sort of like a ripple way that I don't think we foresaw. And it was really kind of propelled by our friends at Canonical. <laughs> I did not see that coming. That was a major story that had ramifications for the rest of the year. But first, before we get to that, I want to mention our friends at Linux Academy. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders is where you go to support the show and sign up for a seven-day free trial. Now, what is Linux Academy? That's a great question. Linux Academy is a platform for you to learn more. Linux Academy is a platform for you to learn more about just the itty-bitty, tiny, nitty-ditty, little gritty details of Linux all the way up the entire stack to the big high-end services that run on top of it. Powered by people that love Linux, Linux Academy is for you. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. sysadmin or new to the world of Linux, Azure, and AWS, OpenStack, and DevOps, a sharp skill set is an absolute necessity to succeed. Meet Linux Academy, an online Linux and cloud training platform that uses self-paced video courses and hands-on labs to give you real-world experience all right. for a wide range of skills. Train for your certification, learn the latest DevOps tools, and grow your skill set to do better work. 
Linux Academy is not just a video library. Our scenario-based server labs and quiz system allow you to learn hands-on. Man, I love that. That's what helps me get over my quiz anxiety. Also, they have a community that's packed full of Jupiter Broadcasting members. And now, with their new public profiles, you can proudly share your accomplishments at Linux Academy. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring Coder Radio for the entire year of 2016. Hats off. Okay, so remember when Bash on Windows landed? Okay, so we've been teasing it all episode. Windows 10 is soon going to let you run Ubuntu apps from the command line. Uh, They're adding uh, a Linux subsystem to Windows, which uh, they're not calling the Ubuntu subsystem. They're calling it the Linux subsystem, which is enabling you to run the Ubuntu user land. Uh, Dustin Kirkland from Canonical even packaged it up in the APPX file and uploaded it to the Windows store. And uh, off it goes for people to download an entire root file system for, of Ubuntu and then run something that is not quite emulation. It's more akin to translation, I believe, of some form. It's an interesting beast. And you know, Mike, I think it's directly aimed at guys like you. Oh, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, cause, because you've, you've, you've enjoyed the Ubuntu experience. You know, the command line has been a great part of that. Uh, they all, but they also have a great suite of development tools uh, with with some with some obvious attractions to it. And the Mac platform, you know, a big problem with the Mac platform is your hardware choice is extremely limited. If you wanted today to get an eight, a genuine like eight core or even twelve core Mac, you'd have to go get a, like a you'd have to go buy like a four thousand dollar Mac Pro trash can, which literally has not been updated for three years. Has ancient graphics cards. Has like two or three generation old Intel. Uh, Xeon processors in it. It is it is ripe for updating, and it's the only way you could get. It's like if you wanted if you wanted a, a modern graphics cards for maybe a project you're working on, you couldn't do it. You could not do it on the Mac platform right now. So, having power over your own build is extremely attractive when you're building for certain workloads. And Windows is sitting here saying, "Look, you can install Windows on that. You get the Visual Studio tools. You get all of our nice Azure stuff." You get a nice, uh, uh, um, a popular commercial platform that a lot of people like with Cortana built into it. And now, and now you want a, you want a good command line? Now you got Bash. The best one too with all the popular Ubuntu apps. And this is looking at guys like you right now who are working on an Ubuntu desktop thinking, man, there's not really a Mac that fits my price point and my workload. I don't really want, uh, I don't really want to buy another Mac right now. But but uh, but maybe an eight hundred dollar Windows laptop or a thousand dollar Windows laptop that is pretty well spec that you could now run Ubuntu applications on, proprietary applications like Photoshop, and obviously Visual Studio and the Ubuntu apps. I think they're saying, Mister Dominic, we just updated Windows ten for you. For me? All for me? Which makes me a little sad because. It's still Windows. You know, at the end of the day, it's still Windows. It still has all the weird – like why – there's so many things – I'm not even – I won't even get into a rant about it. But there's so many little little things with Windows that would actually make it more attractive to technical people and developers if they change that. This seems like a weird way to go. This is like – this is what you go with. This is the thing you improve upon. It doesn't dramatically change that much because in the past you had Sigwin, 
which wasn't great, but you had it. And you had SSH terminals to uh, uh, theoretically a very powerful VPS that would be offloading a lot of the workload anyways for you. So I, I, it doesn't seem like a huge improvement. It doesn't seem like a big game changer, but it seems like it could for, for, some, for some people like in your particular scenario be very attractive. It's interesting, right? I mean, the word that comes to mind when I read this article and I heard about this uh, this new, let's call it feature, maybe is it a feature? <laughs> I guess was fragile, right? Hmm. Like it doesn't seem like Bash on Windows is going to make a ton of sense for a very long time, right? Like, I mean, is it just translating, you know? Unixy commands on the command line over to the no no it is uh, it is it is literally at the syscall level to uh, it is so when the, when the Linux syscalls come in they get converted to they get sort of they get translated to Windows syscalls and they get executed to the to the kernel they get sent to the kernel or whatever they're whatever um, it's it's more akin to reverse wine where you where when you run a Windows right. application under Linux it takes the Windows calls and and translates them to Linux calls. Um, Dustin Kirkland, his his comment was, "It's it's as fast as hot shit. It's really fast." He says it's near native fast. I'm I'm sure it's good. My my question is, what am I using this for on a desktop? Well, in the past, they did have Unix services in the past, and you would right. use it for like NFS utilities and things like that. On the desktop, I you know what I would use it for is uh, you you will get apt-get. Uh, you will get uh, th- you will get all of the you know the ls uh, ping. Okay, but if I install something with aptitude because I'm old and that's what I call it, um, what is it? Uh, what's the user land for the Ubuntu stuff? Then is it some sort of weird? This is what I understand. It's an Ubuntu stuff. 1404 file system with Bash. So but it's, it's a- not virtualized at all. No, it's it's, so it's, there's, it's, it's literally a directory that's like a it's contained in the app bundle is my understanding and then what it does is it mounts your different like your C drive and your D drive and your E drive or whatever under the mount directory in the in the Ubuntu file system so it is literally binary yeah I don't understand this move for the client at all I I, I kind of get it for the server because you know they have to well, in my estimation, it's, it's targeted. You know, remember what was it? Uh, three weeks ago, whatever. I can't remember now. We covered the uh, Stack Overflow survey, and like almost the entire world identified as a full stack web developer. Remember that? Like it was like this huge category, and yeah. that's who I think they're going for is somebody who is writing something that's going to run on an Ubuntu server, which well, is pretty I, much anybody I, writing for AWS or Rackspace or an OpenStack environment or DigitalOcean or Linode or, you know, it's, I mean, there's CentOS and others, but a vast majority of them, if you're writing a full-stack web application, you're writing it for a, something that's going to be running on top of an Ubuntu machine. Also, I was using Azure last night, and it's terrible, but <laughs> really bad. I mean, the new UI is awful. I just wanted to set Laura up with a freaking WordPress website. Oh. And it's like, use our WordPress one-click installer. I'm like, okay, great. Because, you know, they mailed us all these, like, you know, $500 Azure or whatever. And I'm like, all right, well, she wants a website. You know, let me just get her a website for free. The installer, like, failed three times. It's their installer. <laughs> I kept all the default options. <laughs> it's hard, Mike. You I know? ended up spinning up a DO droplet for it. Because I got frustrated after two hours of trying to set up WordPress. Yeah, yeah. I was like, Jesus but anyway, I so I look at this as now. their move. That's their move, um, and I don't yeah, think it's a big so, game changer. But I think I, it's. A, I, I, 
Right, but I really am their target, right? Because I'm not super platform religious, mm-hmm. right? I can mm-hmm. try everything out. But why don't um, you use Windows now? It gets it gets annoying to use so, after a while. So there, there's two or three thing reasons I don't use Windows. Um, although it is tempting to use Windows because I also like gaming. Yeah, I they're right on one the command line. Yeah, it does I, have I, the worst command line. I don't know PowerShell, is, but. PowerShell's better, but I have like this whole library of stuff that I do. The thing is, though, is they need a whole new terminal too. So maybe they, maybe there's somebody who'll create a, a better terminal. But the command prompt is even if you're running Bash in it, it's still like the, like the worst terminal of all of the desktops. Well, even PowerShell's, OS... PowerShell's actually good. No, I'm just talking about the command prompt. The command. You mean the, you mean the old command guys? No, I'm no, I'm talking about the window. The the uh, actual like like it's a bad terminal application. Yeah, it's kind they of need cool. a better terminal application if you're going to have a good ter- – now that now you have a good shell, you need a better terminal app. Um, I've always found Windows development environments to be a little fragile. Yeah. Uh, the But the other big thing, of course, is all the Apple stuff. Now, having said that, you know, I don't – you know, my fear would be this kind of tool would definitely make it easier for me to move my workflow over to a – if I – for some reason, wanted to do that, a Windows environment. But I, I just don't see this as something that's going to be super supported on the client for very long, right? Mm. I definitely get it on the server side, right, especially because of Azure and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I feel like if I wanted to really dev on Windows, I'd have to learn PowerShell at best, and I'd still kind of not be happy, right? I mean, my issue with Mac is that I'm bored, but I'm also extremely efficient on right. Mac OS. Right. right. Well, because, I if, if yeah. between the two, I think Mac OS is a better OS than uh, Windows uh, I, is. I agree with that. Um, you know, I, the only thing Windows has going for me is that I really, really want to play Kotar. Yeah, yeah. Right, and, uh, like, and, I, and I can't. Yeah. You're never going to get rich making a bet based on what Mike bets on. However, when it comes to bots, he might have... The right idea. We're going to talk more about that here in just a moment. But first, I want to thank DigitalOcean, the next sponsor right here on Coda Radio. Go over to DigitalOcean.com. Oh, DigitalOcean.com. And use our promo code of absolute power and authority. That's Coder Digital. You'll get a $10 credit after you've signed up and you support our show. DigitalOcean is a great way to spin up infrastructure whenever you need it for a project, for an experiment, to learn, or to really put something in production or for additional capacity when you need to scale. You're messing around with Docker images? Fire them up on a DigitalOcean droplet in seconds. They got data centers all over the world in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, and Germany. It's crazy. And it's all wrapped up with a beautiful interface and unbelievable pricing. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code Coder Digital. Get the $10 credit and then run their three cents an hour rig. <laughs> it's crazy how much compute you can get for that price. DigitalOcean.com. A big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. And thank you for using the promo code Coder Digital. Bots, bots, bots. 2016, we went bot crazy and maybe for good reason. So Slack is making some money monies. They just completed a new funding at a $3.8 billion valuation. Billion? And everybody knows why. It's the bots, stupid. Now, some people are saying Slack's going to become an identity platform for the enterprise. But really what people are saying is mobile is dead. Bots are the new gold rush. And Slack is sitting pretty. It amazes me that a company that is essentially – I mean I'm not trying to diminish Slack. I find it to be a useful tool. 
But, I mean, man, I've had Skype chats and IRCs for a long time, and they essentially accomplish what uh, Slack can do. It does way more than that. And when you integrate bots, it can be even more useful. But nothing yeah. nothing totally, absolutely revolutionary is happening here yet. A lot it's of gotta, excitement. It's got to suck to be hip chat. That's all I got to say. Yeah. You yeah. were there years ago. And yeah, so Slack is hot on this whole bot thing, and Microsoft seems to be pretty slack too. Uh, or slack too. Uh, Microsoft seems to be pretty hot. Everybody's hot, including Mike. Mike writes, "I am so hot on this." Dev.frameworks.com, botframeworks.com from Microsoft. Nice job, Microsoft. He writes, and you go over there to dev.botframework.com, and you get Microsoft's like starting landing page for building your own bot. Create, bringing your own bot to the party, integrating bots. What the hell? What the hell is all of this, Mike? What what's going on here? You could. It's the it's the beginning of the end. Now, are, so these are they're creating like a bot marketplace. They're creating what, Mike? What? Yeah. So the, I mean, the marketplace isn't super interesting to me, but they have written a C sharp bot framework, which is like a bot DK. Is what I did there. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's funny. The bots can integrate with Skype, which really, who gives a rat's ass? Um, they can integrate with SMS, useful. They can do voice, useful. Natural language processing, useful. No, that is. And Slack integration, probably useful. Okay, I okay, I can see now, I can see a bot for natural voice detection. Okay, yeah. now you've got my attention. Although, now that I think about it, if I could route my phone calls through Skype and have the bot answer the phone, that would probably be useful. But, you see, you see where I'm going with this, mm. right? It is now. This is kind of like next level crap, right? Because who knows what you could do with this bot framework? Maybe it's terrible, but hmm. I love it. So it's about integrating these bots into your existing application. So essentially, what they are kind of pitching here is bots that are in all kinds of applications. This bot is in Slack. This bot is in Skype. This bot is in your Cortana implementation. Um, that's kind of an interesting idea. So instead of having to create this functionality for each separate application, you just have a right. bot that is able to plug into each application. Yeah, I, I think there is, you know, there's the obvious little, hey, go get, order me a pizza bot that they advertise running the site. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, or, or go search for an image on Bing Image Search or something like that. Yeah. yeah no, no one's going to do that. Huh. But I, I really think this is a low barrier to entry for your everyday developer to, one, and play around with uh, Microsoft's pretty powerful natural language processing stuff. I definitely think audio is going to be the next interface. And this seems like a very nascent, early way to get into it, right? To add a, uh, not, now I'm trying not to hype up too much, but to add a almost AI layer to your software. So really what this is, I mean, so uh, a, a bot, so back in the day, like, uh, you know, when I think of a bot, I think of an IRC bot that you issue a command to and it does a thing. Or uh, like JBot in our chat room, when you paste a link to something on the web, it goes and gets the title of the page so that way people have an idea what they're about to click so they can choose whether they want to click a link in an IRC or not. That's something the bot does for us. Or when people do bang suggest, which none of them are doing right now, to suggest huh. a title, you know, JBot's the one that grabs that and, and then sends it off to the, t- to the title voting page. So we essentially have a we, – we, we take advantage here at JB of a bot already. So it's not totally – new for us. Now, somebody just linked in the chat room. There is a GitHub project for like a full-on digital uh, assistant bot. Yes. Yep. Written and go. Yep. There is something to this because uh, if you – 
Uh, if you could imagine uh, being able to interface with the same bot in Slack, in Skype, and in, like, say, Telegram, which Telegram is also very open to bot integration. Mm-hmm. They, say, say, they say they will be. Um, there is well, something. The bot becomes omnipresent in a way. It's, like, available to you in your different spots, and, and it, that's what makes it a bot, I guess, in a way, right? Is this – I mean, what well, makes me, it well, a bot versus a really advanced script? What's, right, what's so the difference? Let, let me hit you with uh, – it's something I'm actually like specking out and working on for my own use. Okay. There is a common case where I deploy builds to people via hockey app. Okay. And sometimes people apps will crash, right? Mm-hmm. One one manual process that in the past I've had to do or have had to literally pay people to do is call and be like, Oh, we're aware of that, don't worry, because you know, clients are very finicky. <laughs> and sometimes you know, you know this better than me, or as well as me. The mental state of the client can often distort the facts on the ground, right? Sure. I.e., if the clients are already unhappy, everything they see is going to be terrible, and sure. it's already happy. And a lot of the times, the difference between unhappy and happy is did they get a phone call or an email? Well, I can tie hockey into Slack. Why can't I then write a bot that watches Slack, watches that kind of thing, and says, "Oh, uh, you know, AB the Jupiter Broadcast." casting demo app that we just sent them crashed on them and have the bot quickly write an email out to the client saying, hey, and, and actually act like a person, right? I'm going to call her Gretel. Say, hey, this is Gretel for Buccaneer. Just want to follow up with you and say, we saw that. We're working on it. You know, We'll get back to you with more. That will save me an entire manual process. And what makes it not just a really sweet Python script is the fact that there are integration endpoints by all these different services to yep. enable it? Well, what makes it not a sweet Python script is really the way you look at it, right? Like, in my vision for this, I'm going to actually program it as though it were a person, right? A member of the team. And hopefully build on it more and more. So it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a big part of how you conceptualize the project. Right. I mean, I, I'm writing up a spec for it now. I drew a little robot face with blonde pigtails. Aww. Like, I'm envisioning this be, being like a, you know, a sophomore in high school girl who's doing an internship for me. Like, that, that's, that's literally – so to directly answer your question, I think that some level of um, personification is the difference. Okay. Yeah, well, which brings me to which was sort of their big flop, right? Um, that was sort of – that didn't go very well. And that's why I'm kind of, I mean, it's sort of funny that all this is coming up right after, uh, you know, Tay-Tay lasted a day. Well, right. So Tay was a, I, I wrote a, uh, a post on that at DominicM.com. Go subscribe. Uh, Tay-Tay is terrible, and I love her. She was so easily manipulated. Like, what were they thinking was going to happen here? And then, and then, well, and, and then they want to get in the bot marketplace. First like, of all, you really don't want a command that says repeat after me on Twitter. No. I guess. Why do you have that? Um, if you don't know, Tay was their little Twitter AI bot that basically went all. Should we just say it? Like it, it literally was quoting Hitler at one point. Yeah, and it yeah. was calling it was calling uh, people daddy and propositioning them to uh, yeah. do things to it. It told one lady to get back in the kitchen. It was, it was really really awesome. Yeah. Um, I will say though, and I actually did write a post about it. The technology behind Tay is very impressive. Problem was the internet is just terrible. The problem is the bot was stupid. It was a dumb bot. It was dumb. It was dumb, and they didn't think of the fact that that was going to happen, which is kind of funny to me. Well, 
See, I <laughs> promise I had two interactions with her before they pulled her down. One was I asked her a question. She said, oh, that's great. I know French pe- other French people. I'm like, dude, I'm not French. It says on my Twitter profile that I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> so I know. Like, yeah, there were basic facts that I would have thought that the, the interface for, for Tay would have pulled in on my profile. And then also, I know you said pers- how you personify it is, and maybe this explains it, because I was actually struggling with this. Why did they make it a teenage girl? Why, who I not assume. Not a great place for the internet, right. Why, like, what, not, and what, and it, what creeps yeah. me out about it is I assume predominantly a group dominated by white men decided that they were going to develop something that represented a teenage, a young teenage girl. Uh, why is that what a, a group of white men are creating? I just, right, do, you, do you want to know why I'm making Gretel female? I can tell you why. I don't really have a problem with the sex so much. It is is like it's an underage girl that they're putting on Twitter well, to talk to people. It's weird that they made her underage. Yeah. Well, right. Like, all right. Why is Siri female? Why – if you were going to do like a customer service bot. I've read uh, statistics that uh, uh, for navigation units – uh, that people find it uh, uh, maybe more. I actually I've read actually conflicting reports on that now that I think about. There's it. There's the one with, from the Air Force, right, where the pilots are actually more likely to listen to a woman's voice. Right, that was the, that's one of them. And then there was also one though where people listening to navigation prompts got more frustrated. <laughs> so there's also one that says people tend to be less hostile to young women. So for the purposes oh. of a service bot, right, I'm somewhat betting that a female persona will get a more soft response. Now, I could be wrong. I could be projecting my own cultural, you know, Italian, white, male kind of whatever. Do you know if the, the other bot they have running in the other market, do you know, is it also a teenage girl? Yes. The, uh, the, the, I believe it's Chinese, but it's definitely Asian of some, some ilk. Uh, is it, someone can confirm, is it actually China or not? Is a young girl. It's a okay. girl. In fact, I think it's younger than Tay. Because I think Tay was supposed to be like 16. Oh, okay. I think, I think the Asian one's like ten, dude. Yeah, yeah, but not. And but the internet. Asian. But see, the thing is, is our culture. No, oh, I yeah, mean, you could you could blame our culture, but you could also just say that people on Twitter in the United States are savvy and know that that's not a real person. That's some marketing. I, I mean, I saw some of the stuff they were sending the bot. People on Twitter are. Fucking yeah, of course nuts. they. Yeah, it was it was gross. It was disgusting. I understand. Right, like you know, there, there's some personal responsibility on all sides here, right? So you don't feel like this is hype. You think the the potential for the bot marketplace, as it were, is you know I'm disappointed. I would have liked people to take it easy, and I, I would have loved to see Tay stay up, and people try to like I tried to have a conversation with her. Right, I tried to be like, hey Tay, how are you? Great to meet you. How are you enjoying Twitter? And she responds, oh, you're not the first French person I met today. Oh my gosh, it was an abysmal failure. <laughs> but like. Fine, right? Like, you know, I understand it's super alpha, super dev mode. And yeah. I'm, I'm not even like, I know you're being very critical, but I wish that the internet in general, the people who are interested enough in AI and machine learning to try it, hadn't just decided to turn her into mini Hitler. Right? People want to watch the world burn, dude. But really, like, it would have been great to try to actually be productive and get usable bug reports. We've had people that come in our chat room and they try to break JBot. Just for no, and it's like the JBot's here just to help people know when shows are coming up and take like it's here as a helpful tool for the community and people, you know. But the other side of this, I'm thinking, great. So someone turned Tay into Little Hitler. You know, someone right now is working on the Little Hitler bot, right? Like, yeah, straight up gonna go on Twitter. You know, I wish I, I wish I had a microphone I could shove in front of Rikai's face right now because he and I have, you know, now that you talk about this bot thing, he and I have talked about. 
I actually think JBot could run most of the back end of this network. If you think about it, because we start and end shows. No, I mean, Recap would be the one who orchestrated it. You would start, when you start a show, JBot, when I start a show in the command, in the chat room, is a, I do start underscore show, and I say the name of a show. That's in the IRC. I, I start that because I, I, because JBot recognizes me and I'm registered. Uh, it starts the title suggestions for the show. The, 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 the voting is opened. And then I end the show, and it ends the voting and the title suggestions. Well, if JBot knows when a show ends and begins, JBot could be tweeting when shows go live. JBot could be initiating file transfers when I end a show. Uh, JBot also could be handling RSS feed updates. I mean, there's a lot of things that JBot could actually do. Uh, it's fairly fascinating when you look at – and it's – for some reason, it does feel different with a bot than it would just a regular Python script. Uh, and I think part of it is because there's more of a conversational approach to it. I read recently that uh, different chat apps like WhatsApp and others are integrating bots for customer service. So instead of people having to call like 1-800-FIX-MY-ISP – and this isn't really happening in the States, but outside of the States, some of them are just – you can just do it through your chat program and you're responding to a bot – but the bot can help you troubleshoot different things, and you know, it's early days. I'm sure I would, I probably would find it frustrating, but eventually it's going to get somewhere. And Facebook is going to work. You can imagine Facebook working with this in different ways too, and with the Facebook Messenger platform, there is because you can do it in conversational formats. It, it actually seems to be very approachable by a lot of users. Well, let me give you a common use case that I uh, definitely have had a lot in the past. Uh, you would like to get a build for me through hockey. You're an iOS user. You didn't register your device on hockey. Therefore, I can't send you a build. I could totally see an automated flow with this bot where, oh, thank you, sir. Let me check. You know, Have her wait a couple seconds, make the API call, check. And then, oh, you don't appear to have a registered device. You know, If you open this link on your phone and click yes, it will register your device. That entire customer service interaction, that time is money becomes quote-unquote free. Well, and like troubleshooting. So what if what if JBot of the future could actually walk people through setting up their Mumble connection? So you could so you go, you do bang Mumble right now, and it tells you this is the Mumble server. You have to be in the chat room to do that. Sure, That's something sure. JBot does for people that are in our IRC. They can then know how to get in our Mumble room. But what if instead when you did bang Mumble, it would say, here's our Mumble server. Do you have Mumble already downloaded? Yes or no? And if you say yes, it would just stop right there. But if you said no, it would say, okay, here's the download link for Windows, Linux, and Mac. And then once you download it, say, okay, here's the setup steps for this application. It could just walk you through it. Make sure you have your audio set to this. Make sure push to talk is turned on. And because it is it is step-by-step in real time, it's not necessarily tedious, but it's also not information overload. And it doesn't give you everything for every scenario. It just gives you the instructions for your specific scenario. That can be pretty powerful from like a customer service standpoint and answer common questions. And I think this kind of framework, and, and again, I'm not trying to be a Microsoft shill, right? Maybe when I dig into this, it turns out that their framework sucks. Who knows? I'm impressed so far, but it's literally been one half of one weekend. Um, True. I think this will, at the minimum, allow smarter, in quotes, customer service bots like you see on Dell.com because they're functionally insane on Dell. I, I actually do feel like, though, this has good, decent momentum because um, – how sl- so slack basically slack was basically a a a a new look at irc right sure. and bots bots are just as relevant in that new envisioning of irc than they ever were and if we have we're not the only podcast community that has a bot like this there's several other podcast communities that have bots like this in their chat room some too some of them written foolishly in node js <laughs> yeah and some of them uh that were uh you know forks of jbot 
Uh, because it's no, it's okay. It's open source. It's it's cool because you know. I mean, really. Then I go check out their stuff. Oh, that's a good idea. That's interesting. It's really uh, you know, neat. It's, so you mentioned the open source thing. Can I derail you, hippie? <laughs> uh, when I, that just comes out sometimes, Chris. It doesn't. Like, oh. Negative in the freedom <laughs> dimension. So, so I'm te- I'm tempted to try to make Gretel open source. Um, I'm I, a hippie. Sir. Hey man, hey, what? <laughs> I have two concerns about this. One, since this is a new technology and I'm likely to make a lot of mistakes, is there do open source people feel embarrassed when their code sucks? Like does that hurt you in any way? Well, I mean, it, it actually I think I think from an ego standpoint, yes, but Okay. What are going to be some of the easiest code contributions, right? The easiest fruit, low-hanging fruit is going to be people that could help you just clean that up. So it's a, probably a good way to also get people to start actively participating because it's stuff that seems approachable. I think the biggest problem that large open source projects have is all of the approachable stuff is all gone. Well, for, you know, for me, this is going to be really like the first ever like pseudo R&D-ish type project I'll be going – I'll be doing, right? Um and not not to suggest that like doing this depends on like you know I'm not I'm not saying I'm doing hard first level research I'm just saying this is a brand new toolkit the bot toolkit for Microsoft is actively evolving right does I guess I'm asking do you envision any scenario where, where you know I'm trying to pick five years in the future or whatever I'm trying to get a job or trying to get a contract and someone says oh wow you're a you're C sharp bot I mean it works but what the fuck, man? That's all messed up. I don't think so because I think anybody who's actually experienced in the industry knows that you're always improving. It, you know, having seen people, uh, if anything, I, I actually think it has helped because it sort of builds a history at least, like a provable history. Yeah, I'm tempted to think that it would be a positive thing, right? Because you can always reject pull requests if it's not the direction you want to go in and they right. can fork it. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Um, Plus, if you do have a few contributors, then it also demonstrates the ability to work in a group or manage. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I mean, we, like, we have found with JBot, it's it's. Uh, I don't know if uh, Rikai accepts every patch or whatever, but it's it's useful to have it open source. And I mean, we we forked it from something long ago, and it's been forked many times, and we've refactored many parts of it, and it's all still very useful. And uh, speaking of functionality, it like I said, it is open source. Uh, we would love con- contributors if you want to join the IRC and ask Rikai. Interesting. Um, All right. Yeah, I mean, it's something I'm considering. I, I would encourage anyone, especially if you're already in the .NET space and you have some C-sharp experience, check this bot SDK out. One thing, it is a domain-specific language. Bot.framework.com. Oh, oh, interesting. Okay. So, yeah, and we'll have a link to uh, their stuff in the show notes. And Rikai, maybe you could drop a link to JBot. Uh, the best place for people to help out maybe, with JBot. Maybe I'll make JBot's evil brother. <laughs> oh, yeah. Bot uh, Our bot. Oh, I don't know. What's this? <laughs> I don't... No, it'll be MS bot. <laughs> Still, from... Bill bot. Call it Bill bot. <laughs> Let's talk more about bots. Now, this is a good one because honestly, JBot today could be replaced with a few lines of code, at least according to Mike and all of the Microsoft PR. Uh, you have been spending a few late nights thinking about. Bots, bum bum bum, and you know it's funny. I've been thinking about bots lately too, and even though I know we just recently talked a little about it on the show, uh, it's sort of sort of taken on a new life with you. What's going on over there? 
Yeah, so uh, I mentioned it on the show a couple weeks ago. I've been playing around with the Microsoft Bot Framework. I have a little bit of like a, I don't want to call it a full review, but let's call it a micro-review. Love impressions. it, I love it. Um, a couple things I overlooked the first time we talked about it. So you can write your bot in C Sharp or Node.js, i.e. JavaScript, huh. which is interesting. Um, it is actually possible, and I have done it, to develop your bot on Mac or Linux via the command line using any editor you want, right? Hmm. So the difference there is you don't have the tooling. So Microsoft has a nice GUI interface built into Visual mm. Studio <laughs> that lets you do your debugging. Um, but, you know, then you're using Visual Studio. Another interesting thing is if you go to that GitHub page, um, I had a very brief conversation with some of the developers on it and some people having uh, some trouble in the, in the, quote, bot community. You can actually use Mono instead of uh, uh, .NET proper for the C-sharp side of it, which I thought was really interesting. Okay, okay. So uh, what would be the advantage of that? Is it because that's more of it? Is that because that's what's available to, on, to the Mac platform and the Linux platform? Why would so you remember, do that? The Microsoft Bot Framework actually requires you to be running a web service somewhere. Um, and if you scroll down there, you'll actually see that it is totally possible to run a Linux web server with Mono running on it as your Microsoft Bot server. Huh. So think about a DO droplet or something yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. So that's nice. And that yeah. seems much more approachable to how people deploy software in the cloud. Well, and it seems much more realistic, right? Right, yeah, exactly. Phase. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right now my current setup is I'm, I'm actually using Visual Studio Code um, to develop a, a prototype bot in C-sharp on my Mac. Just trying to get my feet wet. Not sure I'm going to stick with Microsoft's bot framework. So um, when, you say, does, when you say you're developing a bot, is this, something, is this something you intend to actually interact directly with another human being as the user interface? Or is it something that's going to take, take, take place on the back end and take care of things? Like what, what kind of bot are you talking about? So I talked about it some on uh, uh, the last show we were live on. Basically, a front-level support bot is what I'm trying to do. Okay. All right. Wow, yeah. man. That is pretty ambitious, i got to say. I was yeah, really, it's a, you know, it it's, seems it's like a, there's a lot of bots yeah. that are in production today that uh, we don't even realize are really bots, but it's because they pretty much work on the back end taking care of stuff. And that almost seems like a slam dunk because you can have a bunch of great functionality uh, with something that just takes very simple commands maybe from an operator. But it's something that has to interact with human beings. There's a lot to parse there. Well, one thing I will give them, the Microsoft framework is they have a lot of built-in plugins that make that a little easier. Um, if you cared about Skype, it would be even better. Unfortunately, I don't. Hmm. So the, the advantage for Microsoft is, here, we're going to give you these bots. We're going to give you some of the stuff to work on these bots. Well, they give you these plugins, right? So think of it as interaction layers, right? They give you and the advantage for Slack, to for them email. is what? Maybe you'll integrate with Skype? Is that their... Is well, that the advantage to them is it makes it easier. Yeah. Right, so if you if you already have these prepackaged libraries you can use, you you'll save time. Um, the concerns so far that I'm having with it, you know, it absolutely positively works on Mac and Linux. V Visual Studio is still the first class citizen here. So Windows, right? Which is just uh, we'll t if we get to it, we'll talk about it more. Is just not my ideal dev environment. <laughs> I don't. I, I worry about um, lagging support. Right. I also worry about the mono project. What is going to happen to the mono project? Because that's a pretty severe dependency to have. Mm -hmm. We've talked about it. I think in episodes like it was like seventeen. We talked about dependencies. You know, 
with the .NET Core now being open source officially from Microsoft, I'm not sure that I would want to base anything on Mono. If if uh, well, right now it works, but if if they were to say phase it out, don't you imagine there would be somewhat of an obvious transition to whatever? Yeah, my my hope is that at some point it'll be a swap replacement, right? Yeah, where you just remove the Mono dependency and you put in the .NET Core dependency. It seems um, like the open source community could even take care of that. Yeah, I mean, to to Microsoft's credit, they've been fairly good at, at working with the community right there on GitHub. Hmm. So, okay, I, I want to ask you uh, just I know not to over not to over uh, stretch this point, but the chat room is asking if if Cortana or Siri were introduced today at let's say WWDC in June or whatever or Google I/O they announced Google now today, would we not just call that a bot? Would we call that a, we? I think we would call that a bot, wouldn't we? In today's I think in today's we parlance, would. you know, it's funny because I'm um, I'm not sure how you define bot correctly. Um, there there was this article I just read about you know apps versus bots. I don't think bot is its own standalone thing. I think a bot is a support module to either you know physical, i.e., human services, or you know other technological services, right? Um. Cortana, in my opinion, is definitely a bot. I mean, how could she not be? Um, I've used Siri plenty. I use Google Now all the time. They seem very bot-like, although Google Now has kind of fallen off for whatever reason. Um, you know, the one that doesn't really fit the pattern for me yet is I, I'm taking a brief look at the Facebook Messenger platform, their quote-unquote bot framework. Hmm. That seems much less... Um, on the other hand, it's much less ambitious than the Microsoft or uh, some of the other efforts we're going to talk about. In less ambitious? Uh, how so? Well, you know, the the Microsoft and the other framework I'm looking at, it's a bot, which is a open source bot framework written in Golang, which I've also done a prototype in, and it's, it's really nice. To be honest, I didn't think I'd like Golang as much as I do, but we'll talk about that on the next topic. It, you know, they're, they're just bots in the cloud, quote unquote, that can have interfaces anywhere. They can have interfaces on email, uh, voice, Slack, which is of particular interest to me, and um, really anything you could write an integration to, right? For my purposes, Hockey App, um, any of these kind of customer-facing portals, where the Facebook Messenger, the technology is very impressive. It's, you know, I forgot the name of the company that they acqui-hired, but it's wit.ai, natural language processing. It's got a lot of really cool advanced features, but it's so tied to the Facebook platform that I'm not sure that that doesn't limit it in a, in a pretty significant way, especially when you're thinking about you know enterprise use, right? I could see Facebook uh, getting a lot of traction with Messenger and stuff built right into your Facebook feed over time. I could actually see that even being simpler. I could still see getting a lot of attention. It was just, is that the right user base? That'd be maybe the question, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, I could definitely see myself, you know, asking the Facebook bot to help me schedule a party, right? Or, or a, you know, a pub trivia night. I just can't see me having my customers interact with it. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that would be really good to you know, especially a bot for setting up like a like a party meeting or something like that. That's a oof. That'd be really that could be really cool. Uh, so, can I tell you just briefly how we're using bots? Go ahead, uh, and and then we'll we'll move forward. Uh, so, uh, it's it's for us. Bots have been a part of Jupiter Broadcasting for years and years and years because we came at it as an IRC tool. 
that uh, have we've we've been playing with different iterations of them for a long time. And then you know, at some point several years ago, uh, JBot was created, an open source project that does things like title suggestions or quotes from hosts or uh, a calendar tells you when the calendar is. You can get Mumble information on the Mumble server. There's a lot of there's a lot of queries that you can query in our chat room as a chat question, and JBot will answer you. Um, including like just like silly stuff like a like a like an uh, like a magic eight ball kind of a thing where you can ask it questions. And over time, we started adding more functionality like bang suggest to title suggestion, which nobody in the damn chat room is doing right now, guys. We need titles. Uh, and then we you know and that integrated into a voting page where you would bang suggest, and then JBot would grab that title and add it to a, a, a voting page, and people could go vote. And then we and you then we decide well we would be nice if we could officially start and stop the shows for these voting so then we added the capability of JBot to officially start and stop shows for voting and then we added additional streaming capabilities recently and we're still working on the final uh, code for this but we added two new DigitalOcean droplets <clears throat> Satcom one and Satcom two that stream out to a bunch of different endpoints now so now we're live on YouTube for example and other ones. And we are working on JBot so that when I do that start show command to start the votes to open the voting, it will on the back end use the DigitalOcean API to spin up the SATCOM 2 DigitalOcean droplet, which then sends it to all of the endpoints that we don't stream to 24-7. We have some destinations like jblive.tv and Ustream TV where we're live 24-7. And then we have some destinations where the audience, like, doesn't know, does not expect you to be live all the time, and it's weird for you to be live when you're not actually live. So <laughs> so we don't stream to those places all the time, and that's SATCOM too. And using the API on the back end, we're just using JBot as an interface to talk to that API. And so when I start the show, it'll go start the voting, and it'll spin up the SATCOM 2 DigitalOcean droplet, and boom, we go live. And then when I end the show and, and close voting for the day, for that episode, SATCOM 2 spins down using, again, the API. Uh, and so for us, bots have always been a part of life because they've just been a part of IRC. And IRC, as you can see, uh, if you watch the video version of the show, is closely integrated yeah. into the production of our shows. So bots have been around for a while in that sense. And... It's just now there's more and more functionalities becoming available to them in another in, in some sense. Like now we can integrate it with a, an API that allows us to turn an Ubuntu box on and off remotely in a, in a data center in San Francisco. <laughs> that is right, really like, cool. You know, that well, is- it, 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 yeah, it's also important to, to kind of note bots place and quote, you know, tech hype history. Right. They're coming after <laughs> apps, which were very visual, very designer focused. Mm-hmm. Bots are almost a sort of anti UI opinion. Right, they're a reaction against that. Right, yeah. they're a um, you know they're they're back to the command line. They're a text interface. Now that text may also now be a speech interface instead of just IRC um, or Slack or whatever other text uh, tool you're using. But I think people I, I, who own an Amazon Echo, and I do not have one, but people who own one will tell you that it, that 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 sort of high level of accuracy voice interaction. Is, is is a total new future UI. It is it is a UI on its own. How you interact with it is a UI. It's just a different kind of user interface. And, you know, there is so much hype around bots, too, that you don't want to get swept up in that. Like, uh, VentureBeat says the $200 billion chatbot disruption. They just posted that yesterday. You know, a lot of people are going to buy a lot of stupid bots. <laughs> Yeah, really? yeah. There's going to be a lot of bots with bad names, like uh, that, right. like that uh, bot that Microsoft wrote that whatever it was. Tay. Yeah, yeah. Tay. Yeah. I thought, yeah. I thought so. Uh, so, so before we before we jump off of the bots, mm-hmm. I just wanted to talk a little bit about the it's a bot framework. It's okay. uh, written in GoLang. The interface is in GoLang. 
I am now I've spent less time with it than I have the uh, Microsoft bot framework, but it's really a very close, very strong contender um, to the point where I'm actually still evaluating it against the Microsoft framework. Hmm. I I'm pleasantly surprised uh, by how appropriate Go is actually for this sort of task. Interesting. Mike's journey into Linux this year has been fascinating. I mean, it really starts in 192 where things are a bit strange and he's coming from a Mac user's perspective. And then by the end of the year, he's made the full switch. Buy Ubuntu update real fast. Oh, I would love that. <laughs> See, Chris doesn't read the doc after I edit it. Oh, I, you know what I do is I take a snapshot and I put it in my Markdown preview tool and then I'm out. I'm out. I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> I can just not read it. That's okay. Yeah, okay. So tell me a little bit about the rough edges. So it has been going fairly well. Now, I'm running it on a desktop, a very crappy Dell Slim Inspiron. Um, sorry, my Rode Podcaster arm is falling down on my face. Not right very now. good, right? I mean, after like oh, after, after 192 episodes, they just start giving out. They just give out. Um, so there's been some rough edges, uh, particularly rounded corners on applications. I keep seeing these little... What? What? Yeah, these little black triangles, and in fact, I have. Oh yes, I see those too. I, 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 I see the black triangles. Um, it turns out it's an issue with Unity's default GTK theme. I ended up using the, the GTK Arc dash dark theme, and that problem just went away. Probably because the corners weren't rounded anymore. You know what's funny is because I got this new laptop. I just installed uh, Ubuntu last night. I'm like because I'm going to compare it to some other hardware, and I want everything to be exactly the same. So. <laughs> <laughs> I just noticed the triangles, and I'm like, "What is with these?" T- is nobody? And you know, my first thought, and I wonder what your first thought was: Has nobody noticed this until me? Like, why yeah, are these I still here? Like, have I been on the Mac too long that this is making me crazy? <laughs> uh, I'm not even on the Mac, and I notice it. So yeah. it's not just you. Yeah. So, uh, and then the app I actually noticed it in was a uh, Core Core Bird, the Ubuntu uh, Twitter oh, yeah. client. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so again, I'm running 1510, right? Just so we're all on the same page here. It has been relatively good. Installing Postgres still terrible, no matter what operating system you're on. Still awful. Um, other than that, you know, getting a rail stack running on Ubuntu was a lot easier than on Mac. Oh, good. Getting now, there have been a few. You know, I would say most of the weird stuff has been UI stuff. And I'm not sure if it's because I'm trying all these third-party. Like, I've been making an effort to try third-party native Linux, like GTK apps. And I don't know if it's because of Ubuntu's default theme. Well, here is the issue with Ubuntu. Uh, so I'm a big fan. I think I think it's really – I'm glad you found GTK Arc. Uh, yeah, Dark. I switched to Arc, all, like all of these yeah. problems. That's right. my favorite too. Um, right. And I'm so that's a good theme. You know, the issue is – and this is why people kind of get on Canonical a little bit is uh, when they went off and did Unity. They've over time they've they've been they've since then they've been really slow on adopting um, current GTK, and uh, so I I you know I like one of the huge issues now with fourteen oh four is they're on a very old version of GTK, and uh, of course you're on fifteen ten so it's better but <clears throat> it's not it's not still not current. I think maybe um, I wonder if we could tell real quick. See, this is a this is the this is the this is the this is the really kind of 
this is the unfortunate problem that desktop Linux has for developers. Uh, so I'm going to search for Ubuntu 15.10 GTK version and see what Google tells me. Because yep. uh, so I hear, of course, blah blah blah, Arch current, blah blah blah. Uh, I am. Let's see. I'll tell you what version of GNOME I'm on, which would include that version of GTK when I get there. But uh, so, and if anybody in the chat room knows, that'd be good too. But uh, I know it's slightly older than than current, which is a problem. Right. Uh, so it looks like. Well, it's uh, 3.16, it looks like. So 3.16 and 3.20 is almost out. Uh, 3.18 is currently stable. That's what I have. Right. Uh, and 3.16. So the issue you have, <clears throat> and this is my personal opinion. Um, now, my personal opinion is influenced by watching the desktop Linux. I don't know anybody who's watched desktop Linux closer than I have for the last decade. Like, I mean, I I have obsessed over desktop Linux every single week. I have two podcasts about it, and and I reviewed every just about every ma- every major distro and every side distro out there that actually matters has been reviewed on Linux Action Show. So we've watched this very closely for a decade. And in my personal opinion, based on that experience, I will say that GTK since starting at GTK three point twelve. Every single release has been extremely, extremely worth it and has gotten way, way better. And so when you – it doesn't seem like a big deal right now, but they are just going through a period of extreme improvement uh, uh, outside the normal uh, 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 type of improvement. And so when you're at 3.14 or 3.16, right, right. You're, you're missing out on quite a bit. And so the, this is the fundamental issue is Unity has been sort of pegging them. At an older version, in this case, it looks like it's GNOME three point sixteen, uh, and 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 on, and and on top of that, they're actually backporting even further things like Nautilus, the file manager, and GTK Edit, or G Edit. Um, so that's a bit of a that's kind of the downside. Now, of course, all of that's going to change in Unity eight, and that's down that's about a year away. But uh, I okay. I this is sort of a the unfortunate. So of course, there's not really a great solution. So I use Antigross Linux. Um, and I use the GNOME 3 desktop, but you don't like GNOME 3, and so you kind of have this sort of – don't yeah. look at it as – so what I look at it, I don't look at it as canonical going off and doing their own crazy thing. I look at it as as them delivering you a product, and in their opinion, these are the versions you need for the best product. Okay, okay. Yeah, so the other, the, the other issue I, I had um, – I'm trying to think of a good way to say this, but I'll, I think I'll just say it bluntly so it's clear. You know, I, I, I'm making a distinction between because it's all software, right? But between like command line software stuff I use for you know work, mm-hmm. and let's say apps or applications, whatever programs, you know, things that are GUI versus command line, right? Sure, yeah, just, that's, that seems like make, a pretty solid separation. Um, you know, let's use Corebird Core as an example, but I've, I saw this several times. Installing an app is awful. Um, for instance, I installed Corebird, and then I had to install a bunch of dependencies that were in the README file, and I had to do it all by the command line, which is fine. Really? I, I, know, I know how to do it. But now, okay, so how did you come about Corebird? Because if- well, so let me just yeah, let me let me just finish. I, I that's actually a funny story, but let me just finish how I got here. Um, you know, I would like to do some work on the desktop. I don't know if it's Mac or, or Linux yet or both, but um, one thing I like about the Mac is if I write an app and I want to sell it to you through a website, you give me your 499 or 1099, whatever it is, right? 
and you get a binary that you download, and in two clicks you install it. You type in your password because it's a third-party developer, right? I can definitely see if I were to release something on Ubuntu um, or Linux as a whole, and, and maybe less sophisticated users had to jump through these hoops, they might go ahead and just, yeah. <clears throat> uh, you know, demand a refund or or do something. So let me tell you. So here's how it's going to work in the future. And then you okay. and then and and this is I just watched uh, Shuttleworth demo this on stage at scale. Um, and there, we've been talking about it on Unplugged, but there, Snap packages. What Snap packages are is you create essentially a um, a job file. It's almost written in plain English, so it's not like some fancy schema markup you got to learn. Uh, you essentially say, uh, my packages live um, at this repo. Maybe it's like a Git page, right? I, I have packages here. Uh, you need these things installed. So install these things first. And uh, I want you to pull all future updates from this Git repo or this FTP site or this HTTP site or whatever. And when the user downloads that snap package, that's sort of going to be – they'll download a file. They'll double-click it. It will run the installation, and then it will read your instructions. Okay. And essentially from then on, you could, you know, you could, you could dictate how updates go out and things like that. It's going to be much simpler. Where they're at, so with Corebird right now, the problem with Corebird – Specifically, is it's, it's it's really ironic that you that you decided to use Corebird uh, because Corebird is following the bleeding edge of GTK development. Yeah. It is an example of a really well done GTK three application that has yep. that has you know uh, client side decorations where things are included in the header, and of course, go figure, Ubuntu not following the bleeding edge of G, not even following the current GTK development. So Corebird is specifically. Uh, probably one of the more trickier examples you could have you yeah, could have run I had into. To install yeah, quite a few. <clears throat> and 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 I think if I don't know, did you if you go with adding a PPA and you you sort of uh, quote unquote subscribe to their repo, I would have imagined it would have automatically pulled in all the dependencies for you. Uh, I don't know. I ended up having to compile it. <laughs> okay, yeah. So there so, are, and that's the problem is like depending on, and I've I've witnessed this when I've switched people over to Linux is depending on your Google search. Vector, you get completely radical results, uh, so different I results. It, I, you know, I was trying to like take a survey of what's out there, right? So I was typing in stuff like best GTK apps, best Unity apps, best Ubuntu apps. And I came across an article by uh, OMG Ubuntu, and they had like their top 10 for 2015 or whatever it was. And of them, only a few I thought were relevant to what I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Corbor. Is not and here's but. where I think uh, I think down the road and hopefully Canonical gets here with Ubuntu. But right now, one of the reasons I would say, if you're looking to experiment with that kind of things, Anagros might be better with the GNOME Desktop. Is for example, on Anagros, once you install the package manager, like my favorite is, it's just called Packer. You okay. just you type in you type in Packer dash s Corebird or whatever the exact package. You have to find out what the package name is. But you type in Packer dash s Corebird. Packer automatically downloads all dependencies. It will go if it if it if there's a binary, it installs it. If there's if it's up on <laughs> GitHub, if it's up on GitHub, it downloads it downloads it from GitHub, builds it for you, and installs it. Like it makes it makes experimenting with current software much better. So Ubuntu is a, a fifteen, especially sixteen oh four, is going to be a great workstation OS for working. Uh, Antergross, in my opinion, is a much better desktop. 
to see what's available for Linux because you can do KDE desktops. You can do GNOME desktops. You could actually even install Unity on Anagross. Anagross is based on Arch, but what they've done is they've sort of prepared it for you in a way with some sane defaults like, you know, right. uh, that make it nicer. Um, but yeah, Corebird is a great app, but it is it is it is it exemplifies the Ubuntu soft spot right now. So, is there no way for me to, you know, fa- set up like a, a little fancy Stripe storefront on my website and have you pay five dollars for an app and then you download it and you get like a, a binary, right? If you statically linked everything, you know, library wise and stuff like that, you're pretty much good to go across pretty much any modern Linux. Oh, sure. So if I package it into the bundle, yeah, yeah. So 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 that is, that is the Mac model, right? That's how it works. On yeah, Mac. everything is statically linked. Yeah, yeah. And and you can pretty much get, you you could pretty much run on almost any Linux kernel probably since two dot x. Uh, but um, if you wanted to be able to dynamically link to current libraries, so what Steam does, for example, is Steam has a Steam runtime where they just have uh, the Ubuntu libraries available. Or you know, a lot of, uh, we Noah and I were just talking about this on last on Sunday. Is more and more projects that we're talking about on the show are just being bundled with Docker images, and people Ooh. are just they're composing Docker images and then they're just distributing them as Docker images. Uh, we just did we just talked about Rocket Chat and and Discourse. Huge open source projects. They're they're one of their default methods of distribution now. It's just a Docker right. image. Docker, wow. Yeah, it, it looks interesting. It does look like it's in a state of flux. I mean, one thing I got from, you know, like everything on the command line was as I expected. Awesome. Um, all of the like Ubuntu specific stuff was pretty bad. Yeah, especially I mean, I, the I, App Store. I I, 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 I took a yeah. look at the Software Center and I just kind of said, okay, well now. Um, you know, I, I initially like the thing where I type, you know, control or command or whatever it is. I think, let me, you know, okay, it's the Windows key on my keyboard, yeah, but whatever. Yeah, super key. Um, and I can do, you know, kind of like their version of Spotlight, which is the search thing. But the behavior has not been super consistent. Yeah, yeah. It does spot. get better. It does. Okay. Yeah, it will. Uh, okay, I've got to ask you, though. I mean, you're on pretty old hardware. Uh, given so all things considered, what do you think of the performance? That's the big highlight. Like, this this little tiny-ass Dell Tower was doing nothing beforehand, and now it is a totally viable dev workstation. Isn't that – that feels cool, right? Uh, yeah. And I'm it's doing, powerful, too. You can tell there's power under the hood. Yeah, I mean, I'm doing the majority of my non-Apple development on this workstation. So if I'm at my office, I'm using the Dell, unless I'm doing something, you know, Apple-specific. Yeah, Mike is 68 pointing out, and I didn't know – I don't know what the details are, but in 1604, so the next LTS they're developing, the one that I installed on my uh, – Purism 15, they're getting away with the software store and they're going to use the GNOME software store, which is much cleaner. Uses uh, GNOME software is available like on Anagross and other dis- and Fedora. Fedora uses the GNOME software store to pretty much do all of its updates and everything. Uh, and it's essentially it's it's more cleaner, limp, it's trimmed down app store. Okay, so they're they're, they're kind of giving up on. Yes. Uh, For now, yeah. I think I think if I think if their whole convergence thing takes off and they have a good store, you know, some good apps to show off, you know, they, like if if you're on the if you get an Ubuntu Touch phone now, the app stores are not bad on. It's a totally different experience, right. and it, they could they, they could probably build on top of that for the desktop. I would hmm. see that. I could see that coming. Yeah, I, I think Unity eight dot five or something like that is going to be something to talk about. I think it's going to be a rough transition. But right. they, you know, you know, if nothing else, they for their next desktop iteration, they've chosen some really sound technologies, and I've already used some of that 
in practice on actual devices in the real world, albeit at Linux conventions, but in the real world. And it's already like, I guess, I guess to underscore, they already have a whole new app store where you can go find apps and install them. That's already a thing that exists. So I, I would imagine for them to replace the software center in a year or two on the desktop is not that far. It's going to be it's not that right. Yeah, yeah. that makes a lot of. And sense. then you're going to probably going to and and at that point, you know, it's probably going to be snap packages, and it's going to be a much better situation. Now we fast forward to episode 198: the problems of developing software under Linux. I feel oh, like yeah. I'm bearing yeah. the lead. We should talk about uh, your new post, Linux Adventure Part Two. Uh, you get into Ubuntu app, so you still run Ubuntu on that Dell. Uh, how's it been going, Mike? Uh, it's been going relatively good, which is what I state in the post so far. Not so hostile. Yeah, you say a couple of things, though, uh, of th- things. that I thought were interesting. You talk about uh, uh, Ubuntu just doesn't have a good ecosystem compared to Mac OS, and the Software Center is more than an embarrassment. The developer interest, yeah. the simple and most basic cause of this is there just aren't many apps available since developers don't see Ubuntu as a platform worth developing for. Bam, and you that say was- that's probably true to a point. Uh so obviously this is true when you're looking at the Ubuntu market in a certain context, right? All right. So let's break it down point, 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 break right? Break, break. So I, I think we all, can all agree, you know, I got a lot of interest because this ended up on – because I, you know, I posted it to Reddit and foolishly I posted it to the R Linux Reddit. hey What a mistake. <laughs> uh, the really. high degree of discourse – High oh, degree yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. General hostility makes Linux users look great. Um, I think because really, I, I, you know, and I got a couple emails, and uh, you know, some of them were fun. But at the end of all these conversations, oh, but of course, the Ubuntu Software Center is garbage, and you're totally right about that. So let's just stipulate, right? Chris Fisher, Mister Linux Action Show, will you agree with my point? That the Ubuntu Software Center is a steaming pile of Oh, capital. sure. Yeah, man. I mean, that's okay. A, in fact, you could say that is a horse I have beaten uh, so long that I almost have stopped mentioning it because I feel like, geez, I can't keep kicking this thing. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's, I would argue, Mike, that the Ubuntu Software Center has done far more harm than it has ever done for Ubuntu or the Linux desktop uh, by, by now, unfortunately, by a pretty good margin. Uh, the, the gap wasn't as big as it was a couple of years ago, but now it's just it's super bad and really, really unfortunate. And, you know, the worst part is, Mike, is it's not just the quality of the application. They've made some improvements. Uh, you're on 1404, right? No, I'm on 1510. Oh, well, that's as good as it's getting, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and so um, – uh, well, so it's not, you know, and it's never been, jeez, uh, it has really, it is bad. It is so bad because it, 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 it infers the promise of a way to deliver software to Linux users, but it makes the process of even getting a free application so convoluted and complicated that you are left with a total lack of confidence, not to mention discoverability is atrocious, and it is unfortunately uh, really, really poor done, a web application with uh, a Firefox-based frame around it using the Gecko rendering engine would have been a better experience. Literally, the GNOME extension site is a better experience 
Conference than the GNOME or than the Ubuntu Software Center. And the, so the, the problem here is because this thing is so bad yet has it pr- has inferred a promise for so long, it has essentially misled developers as the place to launch applications. So what we have now, and I have a history of them, some of them covered in this show, is people launch applications in the Software Center and then they make – 30 bucks. And we have literally, you remember from a while ago, gotten data directly from developers that were selling applications. Oh, one used to work for me. Uh, uh, I, I won't say his full name, but Zane. Yeah, he, he, I know. He, and when, he, was, he did that cheeseburger thing. Can I make more than, a, than it cost me to do buy you remember, a Do you remember the fancy widget calendar weather thing? Yeah. We heard from that. Yeah. I mean, we've heard yeah. from several, I don't want to name them because I don't, we've heard from several developers. Uh, uh, that it's just – it is an embarrassment the money they make. It is often under $100 a month, and that was a couple of years ago. Imagine where it's at now. So that, well, okay. One more thing, sorry, and then I'll let go, you go. go. Um, okay, just thanks. my last point is because they – so, so they, they made a false promise, and the last thing real quick, uh, because they were delivering this piece of steaming crap on the desktop – uh, nobody really from the community stepped up to actually deliver something here. They, they, so what they did is they left – there was this hole in the market that they plugged with something that was a substandard product and nobody else wanted to go up against it. And thankfully, after a while, we've got an app grid. But in the meantime, if that st- steaming pile never existed, somebody would have come out of the woodwork to deliver this thing. There, I'm done. OK, great. So I want to talk about app grid. But before we talk about AppGrid, I just want to let's because I don't you know I'm I'm not like crazy right I know far more people listen to the show than would ever go to the website which is dominicm.com so let me just state the argument that I made in the article and you can tell me if I'm mischaracterizing what I wrote okay. yesterday that's fair um, I said there were th- two major problems one under the heading of developer interest is basically what you just stated right. Uh, that there's just not that much commercial or GUI. I mean, it doesn't need to be commercial, right? But GUI app, in quotes, development for the platform when compared to Mac OS or Windows. Obviously, I don't, I'm not talking about command line utilities, server software, or anything like that. The next issue, which is the one you just beat with a hammer, very good, app distribution. That's a, I would say that is a bigger problem, right? Mm. Because, you know, I'm coming at this from someone coming from the Mac, looking at it, thinking, okay, maybe I'll release something here. You know, you've already got my interest, right? So that's kind of taken care of. But the distribution problem of if you have something called the Ubuntu Software Center, and then it doesn't work right, or it's crappy and broken and, (laughs) and, you know... Looks it, like Camden, sorry. And it requires really. that you, quote unquote, buy a free application and, you know, you have to log in with a, you have to go create a canonical right. account. And it's weird. It's, you have to go create right. a canonical account and buy a free open source application that just doesn't, it just it doesn't right. click. So then my obvious and, you know, next thing to look at would be, well, okay, let me look at setting up a page for this with like a Stripe payment thing or or what I used to do was a Gumroad payment thing, right? Basically just a payment processing widget and I would just let you download a binary. Lo and behold, that's also a huge pain in the ass because, you know, the whole, we've talked about this I think last week or the week before, but linking dependencies, there's no quote blessed development kit, right, for Unity. Um, issues with your apps, like in the previous post and on previous shows, I talked about as I'm trying other people's Ubuntu apps, which are, by the way, few and far between, um, there are definite issues on Unity. So I just want to throw that out there. Uh, 
we talked about Corbord where I had to change my uh, – I was having that stupid thing with the the corners of the screen. With the little, right? like, uh, with the little right? uh, pixel co- uh, right. corners. The, yeah, yeah. Basically like pixel, not death, but like almost look like pixel corruption on all the corners where I ended up having to change my theme to fix that. <laughs> uh, you know, th- there, are, there are serious problems that I would argue not having a, quote, blessed development kit cause. And I understand that, like, Canonical pushes Python GTK, and I understand there are tools. There is a developer.ubuntu website. There's all these things that you could totally do. Um, there's Vala, right? Great. But Corebird's written in Vala, and being a Vala GTK app doesn't necessarily solve these problems. No, and you're right. more inclined to want to be on a little bit more newer edge of gtk now right. some of that you know wait some of the some of the stuff you are running up against oh let will... me just hit one more thing let me just hit one more yeah thing. i don't think it's acceptable to ask someone to go to a website enter their credit card information download a, a package and then ask them to run like a python script to install the app so that's the other side it does feel weird huh to, to me that is not and, and i understand that that is a solution and i got a lot of that on reddit uh jackass just use synaptic or make a ppa i get that in my mind, the type of users I'm thinking of, that is not an acceptable solution. I want some sort of GUI install process, whether that's a Windows-style wizard or just an OS 10 click-click, you have it, and just click the icon, right? So keep going. I'm sorry. Um, well, so in 1604, you're going to get a newer version of GTK. You're going to get yep. an improved version of the Ubuntu Software Center, and you'll also be able to run GNOME software. And I know you you did make some comments about potentially GNOME software being an avenue in the future, but right now, that's a really exclusively locked down to things that are open source and in, your, and in the repo. That's correct. So that's yeah. the other big piece of feedback I got. Well, you know, your post is kind of badly timed because yeah. you know, <laughs> GNOME software is coming out. And you know, at some point, I just stopped responding because, and and I'm glad you said that because my understanding was GNOME software did not allow commercial software. Is that true? Uh, it's not. It's not an implicit policy. In fact, they've talked about uh, in the future having commercial future. partners. Right in the future, allowing a payment processing system and all of that. But as it stands today, I don't believe that if you were to go into GNOME software when it does come out and like five or six weeks for Ubuntu. Right. Um, I don't believe that that is a viable alternative if you're trying to sell yeah. your yeah. application. So essentially, Which, uh, and uh, uh, Rikai has got, got the link there, essentially what the plan is, and it uh, it's not working great at the moment, but essentially right. what the plan is, is uh, Canonical is going to transition to making paid apps a thing in GNOME software, which requires patches. And not only does it require patches, but because they don't want to reinvent all the wheel, it, it's going to require like uh, package maintainers package the icons appropriately so that way the artwork and icons display appropriately in, in GNOME software, which isn't necessarily the case right now. There's a lot of work to be done here, and it's all changing in 1604. So that's why people are saying your timing is bad. I don't think the fundamental issue is changing, though. Uh, it's not going to all of a sudden become an avenue that's obvious for you to sell your apps in. Well, and this only works, I would even even if this works, right, this canonical patching GNOME software solution, it only works for users on 16.4 plus, right? So, you know, you lose out on all those LTS users. You lose out on all the 15.10 users. True. However... Uh, hmm. I think 1604 is going to be uh, the big one. Uh, I mean, I've, I've DigitalOcean is, I believe, planning a lot to upgrade the base their base servers uh, to 1604. Google okay. is planning to upgrade to 1604. Uh, 
I mean, like everybody is talking about going to 1604. I think it will quickly be a very, very fastly adopted version of Ubuntu. So there's that. And there 1510 is, that, is supposedly right. a very easy update path to 1604 too. So they're in a pretty good position to get a lot of people using the new GNOME software, Ubuntu software, whatever. But I don't – I don't – I wouldn't – you know, Mike, the thing is, is even then once that's done, that's phase one. Phase two is Unity 8. Phase three is a new software center where you distribute your packages through snaps. I don't think you're going to have a complete solution to, uh, for this until 2017. Episode 202, I just have to shake my head. Intel was so good until Skylake. And of course, that's when Mike decided to get a Linux machine. As you may or may not know, Noah, I have been running Linux on a VM on my Mac, but I'm a little tight on storage. Okay. So I went ahead and I had a spell, uh, spell, spare. One of those little Dell Inspiron towers, the crappy little tiny ones. Yeah. And I threw a Ubuntu 1510 on there. Okay. Using it for my home office, I was pretty happy. But, you wow. know, I was coming to I was coming to work every day, still working on my Mac uh, MacBook Pro actually. So I said, you know what? I got a coupon from the Microsoft store. This is the first mistake, and it was two hundred dollars off a non-touch Dell XPS thirteen. Okay. Ooh, great! So I bought one, and I was so excited that I ordered next day shipping. It took me three and a half hours to place the order. That was fantastic. Oh, man, Dell has a horrible site. Yeah, it was Microsoft, actually. Oh. <laughs> well, I don't know about their site. They, they, they didn't understand that my bank was not one of the major three banks, apparently. Oh, yeah, that could uh, be a problem. Yeah, so my bank kept declining the charges, so it was yeah. great. Yeah. And finally, we get it sorted out. They, they ship it out. It was awesome. I get it. So it's a signature edition, right? So it's loadable Windows. Right. I get my uh, Dell 1510 USB key, pop it in there, run it. All as well for about two minutes. Okay. I realize that the Broadcom drivers that are available uh, yeah. are not correct for my Wi-Fi. Right. And after about an hour and a half of searching, was told that actually if I just go to the uh, Ubuntu 1604, at the time it was the one of the final betas, mm-hmm. or maybe it was the release candidate, I'm not sure. Uh, they have a driver, and that's the only way to get this driver. Mm-hmm. You know what? Fine. I, I kind of wanted to do Ubuntu Mate anyway. So I went ahead and I got the Mate 1604. It's important to know that at work, I plug my laptops into an external monitor. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Working beautifully. I was loving Mate. Is I this the, uh, by the way, real quick, was, is this the high-resolution XPS or is it 1920 by 1080? No, it's the high-res one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's... Uh, and, and, Mata- newest... and Mate did okay with that? Yeah, it's the one you have right there on the screen, actually. 799. Yeah. 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 So... Everything's fine. You know, great. Turns out that Uh-oh. there is an Intel Skylake driver problem. Yes. That when not plugged into an external monitor, right. it cannot render the screen and flickers every, I yep. would say, 5 to 20. We, and you and yeah. I went back and forth of this on you Twitter. Went, yes, yes, we did. And then we tagged Popey, who works for Canonical in, who said it's an upstream bug. And yep. uh, so basically just live with it. And but the problem is, is we have Skylake machines in studio, right? And we have not had that upstream, right? And I have, uh, and I, I also have had older versions of of Ubuntu where I have not had that issue on Skylake. Uh, I have not tried mirroring the display because I know yours didn't show up until you mirrored Chris. 
Oh, yeah, for mine? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I didn't have any problems on my Skylake Ubuntu install until I hooked up a second display, and then I started having problems. Yeah. So I have no problems when the second display is hooked up, and it only has the problem if I'm running it as a laptop. Oh, this yeah. is super frustrating. You know, and the, the thing is, the Sputnik edition... Uh, of the Dell laptop, I'm not sure if it's immune of the Intel problem, but it definitely doesn't have the wireless problem. Right, and so, and but, it, but it's like three hundred dollars more than that discount that he got, or maybe four hundred. Yeah, it, it would have been a. It, it, I wouldn't have bought it. It's really so. Weird. So yeah, yeah, right. So I, I guess the first thing that comes to mind, Michael, is uh, if that if I were in your situation, first thing I would do is I would go to Amazon, and I would just order a, uh, an Intel PCI AC card. Um, because it's going to cost you like thirty five bucks, and the problem with even if you can get it working, every time you reload this machine, you're gonna you're you are going to you're going to get to a point where it's like oh oh yeah that doesn't work, and then you're going to have to deal with you know getting those drivers again and again and again, which is kind of a pain. So yeah. so uh, right here in studio we have an XPS thirteen. In fact, this is what Noah's using right now, and uh, this XPS thirteen, Mike, I did the same thing. I wanted to get a review of this fast, so I bought the Windows version, and uh, this, nope. the Linux version wasn't on sale yet. And it's been it's been it's identical now to the Linux version because I did the same thing. I went on Amazon and I just I bought a replacement. I, I got to make sure you get the right one. Yeah, because there's a couple different shapes. Th- there are, but it, most any anything made by Intel would pretty much work out of the box. And I think it was like thirty four or forty bucks. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's not super expensive. And you I, just replace the card and fix the. Yeah, and it's two right screws there the, and two wires. Yeah. yeah so uh, yeah, just be careful with the wires because they can break. I did break mine. Uh, so yeah, it's like it's like ha- it's like five, six, seven screws to get the bottom plate off of the laptop, and then it's right there on the bottom. Yeah, I did a hard drive upgrade on mine, so I've already oh, yeah. taken Okay, yeah. Oh, there you go. So the, the reason why I did that, even though I know I could get the Broadcom working, right. is I, I just never want to – like you reloaded that this weekend. Right, and you didn't multiple have times. Multiple times we yeah. reloaded it this And you weekend. didn't have to worry about it once. It right. just works every time. And that's, that's what – if I'm reloading my rig sometimes, I'm in a rush, and I don't want to have to fight yeah. that stuff. So wait, just to be clear, getting that that Intel card on Amazon that fixed the Broadcom problem or that fixed the screen flickering? We'll fix the the this, the Broadcom problem. I'll, I'll be very honest with you, and this is something that Chris is. I, I know he's going to start dancing around the studio and screaming like a little girl when I say this, but I have uh, over this weekend. I think I have become convinced that Antergos is is. Uh, it's really a better distro to. I, well, at least I think we're getting a lot of feedback. I don't know if you yeah, see my, somebody, twi- my Twitter feed, said that to me too. but yeah. we're getting a lot of feedback that 1604 wasn't ready to ship. It was. It has been a disaster, Michael, and I, and I have been used. And I this entire week, the entire week, I have debated. Like, like, look, right now, right now, oh, there it pops up. My my menus weren't showing up, and this is that's just one of the many problems I've been having on 1604. Yeah. And yeah. and it has, you know, the whole week I've been defending 1604, yeah. and I've gotten to a point where I, I, this is barely usable. Here's what I can't I, install here's what I'm starting to suspect, and this is just my own bias coloring this opinion. So take that into consideration. Consideration, but what this feels like to me is this feels like too many too many uh, things going on. We're working on special projects with Microsoft to get Bash on Windows. We're working on mobile at Mobile World Congress right. and uh, and shipping a, a tablet with BQ right as the LTS is about to release. Like right as the LTS is about to release, yeah. we have a brand new tablet that we had to delay a couple of weeks. That way we could fix up the image to get it out the door. It feels like what happened was is even though 1604 had a long time to bake. Like some of the like the, the swap issues and stuff like that weren't fixed until just days before released. It was banged yeah. together and thrown out the door to meet it, the deadline. And you know they sent everyone was quick to write in and tell us the swap issues are fixed. I actually ran into that the first. Well, the ISO, bugs marked as closed. I mean, that's great. The first ISO that I downloaded from the main site as it got published and went up, I ran into the same problem. Well, here's where I'm, and here I'm not 
trying to say Antigros or Arch is better than Ubuntu because I, I bet if you give it three months – 16.04.01 or 02 will be out yeah. and like that entirely a, destroys the purpose of an LTS to me. I know, but I just yeah, grant, that's, I, but that's in like, garbage, right. But here's right. why I think perhaps Anna Gross has a leg up at this very moment. And, and what I'm saying is in two, three months, this advantage might be erased by future uh, 16.04 updates. Mm-hmm. But because they aren't hitting arbitrary release dates, they are just packaging upstream rolling stuff right. and putting out ISOs as they have enough collective stuff to fix. There's no release day. There's no, there's no deadline. There's no stress there. It's when, this, when the product has gotten good enough to cut a new yeah. ISO, we cut a new ISO. And that, over the last two years, iteratively, has led to a really good polished distro. Yeah. And I think it's par- partly because they're not hitting arbitrary release dates. And if something distracts them for a little while and they decide to go retool something, they don't then all of a sudden bang something out just to make sure they hit the day. Yeah, this is this is really kind of shaken my 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 worldview on Linux because you know I'm and I, I kind of think I, I feel like from the, the the basic things that I'm getting from you, Michael, is that uh, we, you and I are kind of of similar mindsets in that you know we're you're essentially you're looking for a Linux distro to just install and then work on, and you're not really interested in playing with it or or, or doing other stuff. You just you need to be able to get work done first, and yeah, and I we take your second. With yeah. Right, and so and what I'm finding this week is that. The distro that for forever I have seen, I think a lot of other people see as the distro for people that want to tweak and play, I have found those to be, at least in this last week, blowing the, the blowing out of the water the LTS. And, and I understand that they will eventually get those problems sorted, but Antrigos will eventually get all their problems sorted really, too. Really, I think to be a successful Arch user, it requires that you update your packages once every week or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe uh, maybe more frequently than that if you have time, mm-hmm. and maybe check the Linux Action Show subreddit from time to time to see if there's any Arch news. Right. And that's because every like three times a year, there's a package upgrade where you need to migrate from one Linux technology to another Linux. Like you know, right. it very rarely happens actually. And it would happen just automatically if you update, right? Yeah, but every now and then there might be some course of action you might need to take depending on your system. Mm-hmm. But that always, when that happens, is such big news that it's usually on any standard Linux news outsource, including our own shows, because it so rarely happens. Yeah. Uh, so it, to me, uh, the the threat of – the big threats I hear are my software's changing out from underneath me. My right. interfaces are changing constantly. Right. Uh, I don't want my system to be one way one day and another way the next day. Yeah. Those are my common – those are the common uh, re, 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 retort, retorts or whatever to Arch. And my response to all of those is you control when you do the update. Just maybe do it a little more frequently since it's rolling software. Uh, the targets, like the big ones, well, like the UI changing, those are usually like the GNOME desktop getting updated. And honestly, don't you want that? Don't you want a nice new interface? If you don't, install Mate. Like it's all dependent I, on which desktop you install. I, so I'd, that's not a valid argument either. I'd, I'd make a challenge to you, Michael. I'd say if you – when we get off the air, if you go download the Antrigos installer and install Antrigos Mate, it's going to look exactly like Ubuntu. Mate. Well, actually it doesn't. It's a little different. But. So Pacmatic uh, is being recommended in the chat room to stay on top of breaking changes well, in art. Well, 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 hang on though, right? So let's just take it a step back because I got a very passionate defense from a couple of Ubuntu guys that this is not an Ubuntu problem. This I've is a that. Linux kernel problem. That's what yeah, they say. So here's here's how it works with the different distros. Uh, th- I'm going to give you this is a so in yeah, Ubuntu yeah, yeah. in Ubuntu it's never an Ubuntu problem. It's an upstream problem. In By open, the way, I, in I, open, I just want to pause you guys. If you're trying to convert people who are doing dev on Mac 
and we've already gone this far into internal politics, it's a losing game, right? I know. Like, I know. I, I honestly d- thought about just returning it. I'm, I'm just saying. We keep going. Keep okay, going. so really yeah. quickly, Ubuntu always blames upstream. It's never Ubuntu's fault. OpenSUSE always says, we have the best solution. We've engineered around it. And Fedora always says, well, the next time we do it, we're going to build a better version. Isn't that, that it's so accurate. That is so accurate. Yeah. So that's, so accurate. That's, what, that's just and, – and the arch response is, oh, well, you can make it work. That's the arch response. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, you're right. Do, do me a favor. Just before you before you return it, at least try, just install Antragos, if nothing more oh, than a thought experience. Yeah. yeah. And and then if after and you three can days. Choose, the installer will ask you which desktop environment you want. And, you and just, after three days, if all of your problems aren't solved, the ones that you're having, even including the Broadcom and the display, even without swapping the wireless card, if all those problems aren't solved in uh, just by installing it, then consider returning it. Yeah, the wireless might be your one. But even, like, I had that, that Mac that we had. Yeah. As long as you have a hardware connection when you yes. install it, it yes. pulls down the Broadcom yes. driver. See, the Anagros, that's the one thing is Anagros installer does require that you have an active internet connection because it's literally pulling down the most recent packages well, I, during I, install. I can tether a phone. Yeah. Right? Or, yeah, you, or, yeah, if you have Ethernet, uh, Ethernet USB adapter, that yeah. works perfectly. E- either way, Mike, uh, I think, I think yeah, you're right. The core That is a core issue. Uh, uh, and Noah, you remember when we talked to Richard Brown, Mm-hmm. I was talking to him. Oh, you weren't there. It was Brian that was sitting with me. <clears throat> when I was talking to Richard Brown, one of the OpenSUSE chair people, and uh, he's on Linux Plugged, Unplugged all the time, uh, I was telling him, you know, I hear from Mike and we hear from developers that write in all all the time that there's a, a few core issues with developing software for Linux. One is what uh, what toolkit do I use? Mm-hmm. Two is what's the language I should use? Like do I, you know, do I do Python? Do I do Ruby? Do I do C? Uh, and then how the hell do I distribute that software to my end users, let alone make any money off it? Uh, right. And uh, I'm just, you know, I, I think that's where, where Mike gets hung up. I don't know. Would you have a response to like, – because that's a common – I think, Mike, that's a pretty good summary of some of the core issues, right? Yeah. I mean, for me, in order, it's right. It's stability of the system because ultimately most of the time I'm working on, on some sort of Android or, or web project. Um, so I can't be fixing my workstation constantly. Uh, the other thing was – I would like to write my own tools. And what is the quote unquote blessed toolkit for someone who's not familiar with the platform, right? Like Integros would be totally foreign to me. So when I download and install Integros tonight or tomorrow, um, I'm going to have no idea what I'm looking at. You know, it's really sad because that is the promise of the LTS. That is the promise of Ubuntu LTS is that it is the program, it is the operating system that you download and install, and it just works out of the box. If you want to tweak, you can, but out of the box, you're going to have a really decent experience. Well, so Shri stopped by the booth. Remember our conversation oh, yeah. with Shri, mm-hmm. and uh, I talked to Shri about this, and he's he's looking at uh, a, a real final silver bullet solution, and they're specifically talking about desktop packaging. It's not a server sol- solution. It's They're talking about using sandboxed applications to deliver software, you write it once, and it runs on all Linux desktops. And we basically have all – he says we have all the fundamental technologies. They're launching a conference in September to sort of bring the GNOME group together, develop, distro packages together, application developers together, and they're going to they're gonna meet at this first conference in September. They're planning to have it in Portland to hash out like an official way. And, Mike, you should watch the interview because it's in uh, this week's last. He specifically says we're trying to develop a channel for people to make money on software on Linux. I'm sure based on my own prodding, Mike finally gave Antigross a shot in episode 203. How did your uh, Antigross shot go that uh, was apparently very heavily recommended to you last week? Yes. So uh, Antigross did solve the problem. Really? Really? And which desktop did you decide? Oh, okay. (laughs) All right. Well, before you go there, which desktop did you go with? 
Um, no. Okay. Actually. Okay. And and during my wife's hospital stay, her her laptop was destroyed. <gasps> so it made a lot more sense just to give her the XPS. Yeah. Than to replace it. Oh. So all of those hours spent fiddling with drivers, installing, uninstalling. It is now, as we speak, being reformatted for Windows 10. So for a brief moment, you were seeing the other the other side of the uh, Linux. Uh, what's it called when the, the pasture is green on the side? You went to the greener grass. You saw Antergross. I'll tell me. I'll also tell you something about that GNOME desktop. Uh, you know, each each distro configures it a little differently, but I've I've managed to whittle it down to a few essential extensions and a configuration that actually works quite well. But it does take a little bit of getting used to. Well, you gave it a shot, Mr. Dominic. You gave it a shot. Maybe there will be a future few few months down the road, maybe this time next year, where life will arrange itself once again. A hardware disaster will strike. You know, I, I will say um, I still have a Dell desktop here that runs Linux. But Right, yeah. yeah, And that one's still Ubuntu, right? And you, you, even ha- you didn't have the Skylake. You didn't, cause that's, yeah, I didn't yeah. have any problems. It's an old yeah, machine. Yeah, sure. There you go. There you go. I, I don't know... Um, how can I say this? I don't know if the time I put in was worth it. Yeah, yeah, it's too much, yeah. right? It's too much research at this point. Uh, it's funny because I've been watching Leo Laporte do it too, and he really has been enjoying the process this time around of, of trying out different distributions. Like he said at some point he's got like a, do- a dozen different thumb drives with different distros on them that he's been trying out. And you really, if you go all in and you really spend some time geeking, then you can really get to a place where you're happy with it and you really feel like you got a solution that fits. It's, but it is way too much when you're coming into it. It's just way too much to just straight move over and have your workflow continue without much well, interruption. It, it wasn't even the workflow stuff. A lot of it was like the drivers, right? Like that, that's the stuff that, um, that really didn't seem, seem worth it. But, you know, Having said that, the thing Windows too, 10 didn't do much better. The thing, too, um, what's really super unfortunate about the Skylake thing is, yeah. in, in honest to God, hand to heart, uh, Intel has been really super good about drivers for years now, to the point of which they will literally often have the driver in the Linux kernel before they've even shipped the Intel CPU that the driver's for, or the graphics. Like, right. they have been so good for so many years, they just really screwed it up with Skylake. And I don't even know the core issue, but it for for years now, it has been, if you have it in all Intel system, you are going to have a trouble-free Linux experience. And that has really been the only requirement. If you walked into any Best Buy or computer store that just sold some piece-of-crap computer on the shelf, as long as it had mostly Intel parts in it and maybe yeah. NVIDIA graphics, you were 100% good to go. And so this Skylake thing has been a total curveball, and it really sucks that it hits you because it's this driver's issue is an old Linux problem. And it's compounded right now by the state that Ubuntu is in, where they're, where they're not necessarily necessarily as aggressive as they used to be in keeping up with the latest kernel and the latest gtks and so you're you're really kind of hitting a, a, a conflux of issues welcome to yeah Lens. yeah at some point i was spending more time fiddling with display drivers um than i was you know actually doing work so yeah and that's just with intel that's just that's almost unheard of really yeah. it's really unfortunate but the skylake issue will probably be fixed in a few months so if you do down the road try to saw uh, try again in fact it might even i'm sure it'll, i'm sure it'll work fine when i order an imac <laughs> Now we enter the phase of Mike looking for the right hardware. He's thinking about Dell's in 211. He starts there. He begins his investigation. So, 
So the machine. Uh, so the reason for the machine is pretty simple. The MacBook Pro keeps kernel panicking. Yeah. I have one of those cooling things. I'm doing all kinds of crazy stuff to keep it alive, and it's not working. Apple failed to release a new MacBook Pro this year, so I did not get one. I instead decided to buy a workstation from my desk at my office. It is a Dell Inspiron 3650. The reason I bought that specific computer is that ours had a $200 off coupon. Really? That's great. The price ended up being $579. 16 gigs of RAM. It's a now. This is where I'm a little scared. It's an i7, but the graphics card is an AMD Radeon R9. Mm, mm, that could two, that could give you some issues, depending. It's, it's right. a, sorry, say again. What's the model? Uh, Radeon HD R9 360. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that one, so I don't know. But uh, there is there are some models that are a little trickier to get at work than others. But uh, uh, is it on a card? Yeah. It's on a card, right? So at worst case it's scenario, a- you could new egg yourself an NVIDIA one. It's a card. I've uh, I've read some stuff where it was fine on 1510 and crap on 1604. So I will make a 1510 boot device if I need one. Hmm, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're gonna run Ubuntu on there? Yeah, I think it's going to be Ubuntu. Um, two terabytes, 720. So I, I, I didn't go for the SSD because the deal with the coupon was you had to buy it as is. So you had to buy one of the inventory ones. That's why they gave the coupon. Otherwise, I would have done an NVIDIA card. <laughs> um, that's it. I mean, it's a desktop. So you basically right? got a $1,000 rig for, for half off. Basically. That's the only reason I did it. Uh, that'll be a good steady uh, workhorse, I think. That's nice, man. Good for you. And uh, yeah, I, you know, Mr. Kernel Linux will be here next week to help you get it set well, up. I, I'm assuming I'm going to like go to meeting him on my iPad, and it'll be tech support. That is my expectation yeah. for Monday. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly it. Yeah, I would expect so. So yeah, I saw you had some back and forth with Jed and others on the Twitter. Did yeah. everybody say you did okay? And on the red, on the subreddit, what did people think? Uh, price is good. A lot of concern about that AMD card, though. Yeah, that would be my concern, too. But I don't think that's going to be the end of the world. I don't think that's going to be... That's not going to... That's, I don't think that's going to really... I don't even think that's going to be much of a hitch. So there is a proprietary uh, beta driver for 16.04 from AMD. I oh. did find that online. It looked... I'm not sure... See, this is where I'm, you know... I haven't had to fiddle with a Linux machine that didn't work since the Dell XPS, which I just gave up on, right? Yeah. So I don't know... I don't know how bad bad is, right? Because in the nine ten days, if something didn't work, it simply didn't work. <laughs> so is and this this is not a laptop. So my expectation is that I shouldn't have to worry. Like I'm not going to worry about hibernation, right? I'm not worried. I I'm not doing a dual monitor setup with it. Hmm. So I think it should. Um, I guess to be really blunt, my expectation is it should more or less work out of the box. You know, uh, as somebody who. Um has still continues to use the hell out of Ubuntu on the server, deployed it for clients. I mean, I, I made a mad dash to Ubuntu server LTS when it started coming out from CentOS. It was right. great. Converted lots of machines. Ran Ubuntu for years. Was a massive, massive fan of it. Uh, I, have, I, I have never been less excited about somebody switching to Linux than when they say they're switching to Ubuntu. Because it, yeah, it, this, it really uh, feels like, and I know it's just for work, I know it's a good choice, and I know right. there's lots of good reasons to run it. But I, 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 I want you, when you go into it, I want you to know that 
there is a better experience out there. There is a more modern Linux out there that is, you know, packages are handled easier, driver issues are handled easier, re- swapping things in and out is handled easier, running more better alternative desktops is much easier, doesn't trash your system. Uh, lots of little things, you know, that, you know, for the example, like the whole, just to be honest with you, the whole idea of releases is exhausting. Like, I, I don't, I don't. See, a rolling release sounds super unstable to me, though. Like, like, you know, yeah, sure. I mean, there, but there's other, there, there's lots of ways to do it. But the whole idea, like, the, 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 you want to, in six months or a year or three, you're going to upgrade. That's like, that's like taking my most prized workhorse. And then once every six months to two years, like, it, it, it could just be, it could be completely, completely decimated. And then I have nothing. And it feels like that is such a, a, a risk. Like, I, I, over, over the weekend. All right. So, LTS, why, what makes you think I'm not just going to stick with the LTS for five or for the lifetime of the machine, right? Yeah, I guess so. I guess if you, yeah, yeah but that would never work for me. Because eventually, there's your core birds, your chromes, your, your things that just, like, all of a sudden, you're not able to install anymore. You're like, oh. Yeah, if I was on a Mac, I wouldn't have this problem. And so then, really, you want to avoid that temptation. Anyways, you'll see what I'm talking about. But we'll see. I mean, my uh, my biggest concern is really how weird 16.04 is with graphics drivers. I've already been bitten by it once. Um, we'll see. Yeah, I think I think you'll be okay because you got bit by an Intel graphics problem. Yeah, I, I'm not. My expectations are, see, I'm getting some crap in Slack right now. You bought a PC, not a Mac? Yes. The Mac, they haven't been updated in three years. You can't. You can't. You just Right? You I can't. mean, it's been three years. Go Come look on. at the Mac Rumors Buyer's Guide and then then justify buying a Mac Pro. Oh, and then the Mac, Mac would have been $2,000. Let's, you know. Well, there's, oh, yeah, there's that. But if you if you legitimately only buy the computer once every four or five years, if that's true, which is not true for me, then the, the value proposition is a little better. If you buy a computer every year or so, the value is not there. Um, and that's definitely the camp I fall into. But, like, if you just – so, you know, I, I know you're probably familiar with the, uh, with the buyer's guide on Mac Rumors. Oh, I am. It's sad. And if you look at the uh, – the, uh, you would be getting a MacBook Pro, right? Yeah, so I would have gone for a higher-end MacBook Pro. Yeah. yeah, so the MacBook Pro has not been updated for 1,477 days. Think about all of the hardware changes and developments yeah. that have come out in 1,477 days. The average replacement cycle is 261 days, so just under a year. But this one is 1,477 days. The last update was in June of 2012. I mean, the only thing I did consider as an alternative and didn't do it uh, was buying an iMac. I, I and the thing that got me there was cost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like pure, these things are expensive. Cost. The iMac, being one of their most recently updated models, was updated two hundred and fifty-eight yeah. days ago. Well, there's that too. <laughs> I mean, it's you know I don't love the annual release cycle from Apple because if you happen to need to replace your system. At the wrong time, yeah, yeah, and there's it, it seems like it seems like there's there's room for improvement in the in a year in the Intel cycle because they have the TikTok and anyways, um, it does help with the value of the machines long term though. So there's that. My point being, I think you actually made a good purchase price wise. Um, I just wish, I think I actually think the problem that I the problems that I have are actually really kind of getting resolved. I don't know if you followed like the Snap Package stuff, but. Uh, that, I've been looking at it. That's Canonical's yeah. horse, and there's 
you know, for example, once you get Ubuntu 16.04 installed, if you want a desktop telegram, there is now just a snap package where you can just go download and install it and you're good to go. Well, I have this dream, too, of like our build process not being on my laptop. Hmm. And, you know, using like Ionix, Ionix uh, packaging and platform service or some other cloud build infrastructure just so it's, you know, right now my laptop is the build machine, which is not good for a whole variety of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sure. So I'm hoping that the difference in my local dev machine, one, anything back end or webby we do is on Ubuntu. Right. And it's like, second, you know, really, I'm trying to get away from the native Swift Objective-C stuff. Really, really, really trying to focus down on Ionic and some Android. All of that stuff does easily support remote building, right? And the, In fact, the biggest hiccup in the tool chain is going to be code signing for iOS. Um, Ionic does have a tool that does it, but it's very sort of not intuitive. Hmm. The reason it's not intuitive is you still have to generate the keys on your machine and upload them, right? It, hmm. It's not a, a it's not a point the build at this and then we build it for you. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I'd be actually really curious when I get back to hear how that went. 215 Mike drops the Rotel Pro bomb. So because this legitimately no no sponsor payments for this episode by System76 legitimately uh if I needed a desktop PC for home and I had the money I would buy this computer. And uh so I've always wanted one but I have never been in a position to buy one. And usually when it comes down to it I end up if I've got to buy a computer it ends up having to be a laptop or something for the studio. So what, what's it like, Mike? Is it, is it quiet? Is it, uh, is it fast? Tell me everything. So I'm on it right now. <laughs> okay. Um, it has one huge negative drawback, actually. Mm, okay. It makes my MacBook feel incredibly slow. Oh, really? So it is pretty peppy. You have me it going is a little, Yeah, I see what I did there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not necessarily a fair comparison because the Raytel is a much... Uh, well, no, you know what it is. It's, it's that got file system. Double the RAM, right? It's yeah, and it's the file system. It's got double the RAM, and I actually think the SSD is faster. I think the the clock is faster. Hmm. There are a few things um, in Ubuntu that aren't awesome. Mm-hmm. One of them is just like the shutdown and turn on speed. I think probably could use some love, but I do that once a day, right? So I don't really care. Other than that, it's been smooth sailing. Uh, my tool chain's still the JetBrains tool chain. It's a lot of WebStorm, a lot of RubyMine, a lot of Android Studio. Um, things just work, right? It, this is a pretty boring review. Uh, the hardware's nice. I would like a little more... This is going to sound weird, but the back... You have it. You're showing the image now. This back ports. That panel there actually has a lot of give, which sometimes I feel like I'm about to punch it in. I'd like a little more just oomph there. Mm, like a stronger I mean, but this plate. Is really, yeah, this is really nitpicky stuff. I mean, Ooh. it works fine. Yeah, it, you don't often plug and unplug things, but still, it's... it's oh, well, I, I actually do. Oh, okay, well, there you go. Yeah, um, yeah. <clears throat> so I wanted to ask you, uh, here was, here's what I was wondering. This is not your first time trying out switching no. to Linux, and generally, the last couple of times went pretty well, and for the most part, things worked, but hardware had to change or something came up. Do you are you noticing an appreciable difference now by going with a machine that was built by a vendor with intending you to run Linux? Is there an appreciable so, difference if you, you know, had built it yourself? Do you think you would not really know the difference? It's funny you should ask today because uh, my wife's Surface is actually 
basically just been replaced by Microsoft because it was broken for three months and they got around to giving her a new one. Um, Yay, Wi-Fi cards that don't work in machines that don't have Ethernet ports. Um, It's really great. So I will likely be getting the XPS back and I have a mild interest in like slapping a 1604 back on there because someone did say that they finally patched a driver for that hardware Mm. and saying, okay, what is it like with drivers that work? Um, For those who didn't listen back, the the issue I had with the most recent XPS 13 was that the Skylake drivers just don't work. I mean, the screen flickers, it freezes. I mean, it is not usable in any meaningful way for any period of time greater than like 10 minutes. You know, if you downloaded, I bet you would have zero problems if you downloaded uh, the Ubuntu 16.04.1 ISOs, which were just released. Well, that's what I'm saying. Right. The the newest, if I, uh, the one that has all the driver updates in it. Yeah. Someone tweeted me, uh, Twittered me, because I'm 47,000 years old. Uh, that they did fix the Skylake uh, into mm-hmm. I believe that is true. Crap. Having said that, I'm not sure that in the future should I need a Linux laptop that I'm not going to you know just get for free that was already paid for. I'm not sure that I wouldn't go with something like a System76 because why why deal with it? Yeah, that's sort of my take. Is even if um, the prices maybe isn't well, it's it's like a hundred dollars more. Yeah. right. It's hundred bucks more to get the System76. But yeah, yeah. But it's almost it's almost like it takes it takes some of the question out of the back of your mind too. Um, that that I really I really you know I my, my there's a lot of different scenarios. But if something's acting weird, if something's crashy, I like having a bit of assurances knowing that I'm you know the hardware is pretty solid for this particular task. Yeah. And again, the other thing I mention all the time is for me, if I decide to get to a point where I want to reload a box, I don't want to waste three days doing that. I don't want to. I I don't want to fiddle with stuff that I fought with in the '90s. I did that. I've used computers a long time. Yeah. I've built plenty of computers, and I've spent my time going and getting the drivers, using mm. alternative hardware until I can get the driver to enable the hardware on the device I need to do the other things I need. I've done that game plenty of times. It's just I'm just not really interested in it anymore. Yeah, I, I'm not super like. In, yeah, that's the like the whole administering the computer side of it. I don't find particularly interesting at all. Yeah. Um, I'm also in the position of being like super busy for these last six months, so I have almost zero interest in like system configuration. <laughs> for instance, on the Raytel, I'm running stock Ubuntu. There's no, I changed one thing with um, uh, Unity tweak just to change the borders of Chrome because it didn't match everything else I mm-hmm, had. Mm-hmm. It was driving me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. There's a little bit of Apple user still there, isn't there? But it, and it's like it gets so close. Like if I could just yeah. tweak this, <laughs> that's about it, right? I mean, yeah. I'm using. Oh, and I got rid of the really weird orange uh, uh, buns on the top of every window because mm-hmm. those are also bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So i uh, I wonder if I wonder if you are an outlier of a potential. So this is what I've been one trying to get at is. I think there is a category of of people who are first adopters that are like yourself that have workflows they're moving over to Linux simply because there's no real compelling reason not to at this point. Not necessarily because of some massive Linux platform advantage, although there is obviously some advantages in performance and price and uh, ease of uh, acquiring. And all those things are nice, not having to worry about licensing and activation and even having to worry about like with with the Mac downloading only from the App Store, all that kind of crap we hate dealing with. You well, don't have to worry about with Linux. 
that's nice, but that's not what's making you switch to it. What's making you switch to it is there's really not a compelling reason not to, right? Well, I, I, no, actually. Um, okay, good. I would, say, I would say the biggest driver is nothing that – well, it's unfair, right? Ubuntu in particular has become extremely boring and stable, which is a feature because you know I'm writing software that's unstable in its own right. Ha, ha, ha. So I, <laughs> you know, I don't need my OS to be unstable. Yeah, no, there's less legit. But also the Macs have become increasingly a bad value. And as I'm unable to update them, it becomes a more permanent investment that it's just not worth it, right? If you, if you were to look and buy a new MacBook Pro right now, you're buying, I think it's like three-year-old hardware for top dollar still. There is no way to look at it. There's no favorable, favorable way to look at it because – even by now, Apple, if they cared, could have released a statement or leaked a story to the Wall Street Journal or could Bill have Wall even yeah, even I mean, could have even just revved the chipsets in these machines. Even just even, you know, because like to say that there's no compelling reason to upgrade them is false. There have been substantial GPU releases and improvements that would be absolutely worth incorporating in machines that are often used for work. And it just to me, that you're right. This is a huge, huge issue. And, and the problem is, is how do you really know when it's been fixed, too? Because right now, I'm, I mean, I don't, you don't need me to pull up the Mac Buyer's Guide because you know the numbers are horrible. You don't need me to do it. Yeah, if, I don't know what they are. I mean, I don't, I don't watch this religiously, but I know, you know, the MacBook Pro you would buy is, on, is I think, actually the one I have and is three years old. So Yeah, 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 exactly. Maybe, maybe there's a half rev, but yeah. No, no. No, I mean, I don't I'm, think there is. No, yeah. I mean, okay, I'm all right. Now, you see, you got me doing it now. Now I'm looking. I, people hate it when I do this. So you're talking about the MacBook, the Retina or the non-Retina? I have the Retina. Okay. So I, have, I have the first Retina. Yeah. I know that. So the MacBook Pro Retina has not been updated for 433 days. We're now okay, measuring so the update. There has been a rev, though. Yes. We're now measuring the updates, though, yeah. in years. You're measuring those updates in years now. And... Here's where I want to do this really quickly. We don't have to dwell on this. How do you know when Apple has solved this problem? Because when they update, they will eventually update these. That just is one update. It's going to take two or three more releases before you can trust that they're going to continue to rev these in a way that's worth your investment. That is the core issue here is they have lost so much trust across their hardware line for the last few years. You're gonna, it's going to take years of updates before you're going to know what their new release cadence is. Look at the Mac Mini, which by all accounts could be the best entry-level machine for somebody who wants to get interested in iOS development that doesn't have a lot of money to invest but already has their own monitor, oh, mouse, and keyboard. Mini, the Mac Mini is almost the worst computer you could possibly buy right now. 648 days, yeah. and legitimately the last update to the Mac Mini, some argue, was a downgrade, so much so that the version of the Mac Mini before this one is selling like crazy on eBay right now. Because the, some, some prefer that model over this one, 648 days. So is that the core reason you switched to Linux? I mean, that seems like, I mean, that seems like a problem, but it doesn't seem like a problem that would make you want to upend your workflow. Uh, is the core reason no, but I, I don't even think you're I, I, as as bad as it is to bring up the Mac buyer's guide. I, I think you're understating the problem, actually. Okay. It's not just that the initial investment is bad. It's that you cannot upgrade the hardware. Like, full stop, right? Yeah, you're stuck with it. 
just stop with it. Even the memory now is soldered in on some You're of them. Right? No, no. I, I, I mean, period. You can't upgrade the hardware. So you have to I buy mean, the most a... expensive one you can when you buy it. Right. Which makes it pretty tough. Um, you know, I don't see the Macs as as real development workstations. I don't think they're going in that direction. I mean, they obviously are development workstations now, but I think in the future, you know, Tim Cook himself uses an iPad Pro mm-hmm. as his only computer, he says. That's what he says. I I, I see them more as utilities, right? As, um, well, as sealed appliances, right? Gadget appliances, which is just not what I want to be using. Now, having said that, if I hire somebody, I think it makes sense when they use Mac because they can't break it. I mean, and and, that, and that's where the the walled garden kind of makes sense. Mm. I mean, Chromebook. Oh, Chromebook! First of all, you can't really do Dev on a Chromebook. Yeah, okay, you know? all right. Yeah, you're you're just like. So yeah. okay, here's my initial question. This is what got us on this rabbit hole. Is no, go ahead. Are go ahead, you? Do you think this is the beginning of a trend? So the other person I've been watching with some interest recently is Leo Laporte, who uh, who famously poo pooed Linux quite a bit um, a couple of years ago, and then suddenly realized that you know what, tinkering with your computer can be fun, and depending on which Linux you go with, there's tinkering that can be had. And he has gone through months now of a of a rabbit hole process of learning about Linux. He's bought uh, a System76 Oryx Pro and he just bought another workstation that he's going to install FreeBSD on. Uh, he's like all in now. He's he's using the Oryx Pro to do his shows um, running uh, Ubuntu GNOME. And uh, I think one of the things that draws him, based on what I've watched from him, is he doesn't like the way commercial operating systems get drug around he doesn't trust them security-wise, and he likes the security and trust and configurability of Linux. And then with FreeBSD, he likes sort of like their fundamentals and their philosophies. Um, and I'm watching you two guys both experiment with this and wondering if this is if there's going to be a lot more people doing this. Okay, so let, let's just back it up there. I strongly doubt that either myself or Leo Laporte is able... First of all, he's using BSD right now, by the way. Well, he's using Linux, too. Oh, is he? I, I heard to certain talk about OpenBSD. Um, I, the security thing, I think, is a super straw man argument because I, I have a feeling that Leo Laporte and I, by accident, will create more security flaws than Apple ever could by, you know, malice. Um, assuming we're actually tinkering with our system, which is, by the way, a reason I don't, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not... So I would actually say, in a way, Lilo Port and I are counterexamples to each other. I disagree. Oh, different. I disagree. I think it's different reasons, but it's I what the right. core element... I think there is technology enthusiasts who are sometimes early adopters or, or trend watchers, I think, see this coming. I mean, I think this is something... That's the thing you two are sharing in common that perhaps is leading you here. For the re- the, how you enjoy it or how you use it, those are unique to your particular work scenarios. All right, well, let, let, me, let, me, let me hit you with something else um, in a wider sense. You know, I've been talking a lot about Ionic, a lot about Docker, a lot about kind of back-end, more, quote, Linux-y development, right? And that's not really mm-hmm. a fair term. See, I have the sense that a lot of the interesting stuff isn't happening on the client side, isn't happening on the on you know, iOS in particular anymore. It's happening in the cloud. It's happening 
and I hate that term, but it really containerization, right? Backend stuff, AI, bots, all of that's all server side. So to me, another reason that I think this makes sense is from a practical point of view, it's good to be working in an environment that mirrors my deployment environment to a point. Obviously, I'm not running a desktop on my deployment environment. Um, I guess I, I, I guess I wonder, so you're trying to say that, are you trying to suggest there's some sort of like Mac flight? Like previous Mac guys are now turning away from it. Because I think, I think there is a lot of unhappiness. I mean, I was listening to some Apple shows over the weekend, and you know, there's there's some grumpiness, right? Because those guys who do those shows are the same guys who spend four thousand dollars buying a MacBook Pro, exactly, and realize that the yeah. iMac for fifteen hundred dollars can match it at most tasks. Or a and computer you assemble, for, uh, not that they would right. want to, but a computer you could assemble it from Newegg. Um, and maybe run Windows 10 on it or whatever, you know, 900 bucks, and it's just as powerful as a higher-end Mac. But I don't think Apple's really in the, you know, power user business anymore. Or it doesn't feel like they are, right? Boy, I think the Final Cut team would disagree with you, and I think the people that are working on a few of the new features for Apple File System would disagree with you, but I don't know. It doesn't seem like it to me. We've been, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I hate to, I hate to, I don't like the direction the chat room is going with this conversation. So it's making me think that maybe we uh, should. Yeah, I think we should move on. I mean, you know, just a few more points about the hardware. Yeah, I'm not going to chide everybody for tribalism again today because I've done it a hundred times. But this is a really good computer. Seriously. It is slightly more expensive than the equivalent Windows computer I would could have bought. Mm. Um. But I got to be honest, I seriously would question not just going for the, uh, you know, for the system 76 and not necessarily them, right? It could be, who knows by the time, one nice thing is this is a, a, a four to five year machine for me, not a two year machine for me. So next time it's time to update, I, I think I would definitely stick in this direction. Once you've got the desktop nailed down, you got to have a mobile workflow. And that's where Mike gets his mobile Linux laptop. You got yourself, uh, you got yourself one of them uh, lemurs over there at the uh, System76. One of these, one so of these me, 13 inches, let me, right? Let me tell you what happened. Yeah, tell me, tell me all about it. Because uh, last time I checked, uh, you were building iOS apps and uh, you were building Android yeah. apps and uh, you were building iOS apps. Oh, and uh, iOS apps, which uh, last time I checked, Xcode don't work on Linux. Have you gone crazy? I'm sorry. What kind of apps were that building? <laughs> <laughs> so I was I was uh, at a draft Magic the Gathering party at my house. Right, is this for real? Is this are you pulling my leg? No, this is for real. Okay. And uh, I got stuck on baby duty by the misses because you know there were other strapping young gentlemen there, and you know girls got a party, right? Where she so, got to get, get, get the hell out of there. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, she was there. She was drafting. Oh, she's a hardcore planeswalker. Oh, she had work to do. She had work to do. She's like Liliana. So I'm... Uh, Mama's got to hustle. I'm sitting there holding the baby, watching My Little Pony. I shit you not. Now, the a new one or the big. old one? Because the new one's... The, the, new one. the new one's awesome, dude. I We could have a whole episode on how awesome My Little Pony is. How about that, Applejacks, right? Don't forget Applejack. It's all about uh, Princess Luna, or, or oh. as you might know her, Nightmare Moon. Hmm... Oh, I, I, in fact, I was listening to a song of hers on YouTube today. We, can we play it in the show without getting DMCA'd? Probably not. Probably not. Okay. No, I actually got a takedown from my own voice a couple of weeks ago, so I don't think so. Yes! Yes! <laughs> it's like the inception of DMCA takedown. The worst part is not even the first time. It's not even the first. It's the worst. <laughs> okay, so you find yourself there. You are with Kid. Magic the Gathering's happening. Oh. 
Magic the Gathering was happening between sneaking videos of Tiffany Alvord, who's a great singer, and the kid wanting to watch My Little Pony. I got a bit lonely. You know how I get, Chris. I send uh, strapping young men such as yourself messages when I'm lonely. (laughs) 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 No response, okay. Uh, And I happen to have the, the wonderful, the beautiful, the handsome, dare I say devilishly handsome, Ryan Snipes on Telegram. Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Ryan. Ryan's been on the show before. He has. um, And I sent him a message saying, hey, Ryan, I'm a bit lonely. What you doing? What you wearing? (laughs) I don't think this is how this went down. Something's telling me this isn't reading right. (laughs) You don't think this is how this happened? I don't for some reason, especially because that almost sounds like more work than just going to their website. <laughs> no, I really did telegram him, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, I'm bored. I'm thinking of buying a laptop. I know Mac's come out in a week and a half, but that seems too mainstream. What do you got? It is kind and of funny said, that you chose to do this right as the new MacBook. So like, now we actually even have an announcement day. Well, you know what? This is where it's at for the clickbait. That's all I'm going to say. Like right now is the right time. You're right. Hold on. I got to do I got to just do a quick check. I'm going to go over. I got to find the Mac Rumors website. Hold on. Let me go into my Mac News here. I'm going to go to the Mac Rumors. I'm going to pull this up in two days, 21 hours and 46 minutes as we record this new MacBooks will be announced. You renegade. I'm a freaking rebel. Baby. Is it really, though? Is it is it is it really about is it really about them finally updating the MacBooks or is it something bigger, though? I mean, what is this? Why? Why? Why now? So first of all, uh, you know, Ryan, I had never considered the lemur, uh, which is the one I ended up ordering. Yeah. I've always kind of looked at the gazelle. Yeah. The Oryx is a little too big for me. Um, I've been sort of dilly-dallying with this. And I ended up, you know, Ryan says, take a look at the lemur. So I take a look at the lemur. With my budget, which was only like $1,600, you can pimp this baby out. I mean – SSDs, 512, 16 gigs of RAM. I'm sorry, some Mac users making eyes at me right now. It's very awkward. Um, you would not well, get a you would not get a MacBook that is probably as no. equipped as you would like for that price. I, for that price. When I've right. configured MacBooks for production here at JB, which we haven't bought any for a long time, but they were probably twenty six, twenty eight hundred dollars, you know, for tax. Yeah. And this is with, you know, I'm impatient two day shipping, which is why it's coming today. Good man. So, you know, I have not yet gotten my little pause on it, which is slightly disappointing. I was hoping it would come before the show. You know, I've heard a couple things about it. Um, oh, it's got the cabby leg, too, which is also a good Yeah, it's thing. got the 7th gen Intel processor. And you can actually cram two freaking hard drives into this 13-inch laptop, which I find to be. And I, now, I don't know if you can do it aftermarket. Oh, yeah, you I can. I did not. Yeah, you can. Yeah. So that's even that's yeah. even better. True, typically, although I've never I've never touched this new one because this was just recently updated. Typically, they are much more user serviceable than than a, than a MacBook. Well, the Macs are basically not user serviceable, right? I mean, yeah. I so this is where I wanted to kind of go towards is there's a couple of things. There's two things that I used to really like about computers is I liked being able to buy them strategically when it worked for me. And I liked being able to give them additional capabilities a year down the road. So say maybe you decide at some point, I'm going to run Windows or and Linux or two different versions of Linux on this. It's nice to be able to add a second storage drive down the road when yeah. you'd like or upgrade at this. I can't even believe I have to say this, but it's actually a nice feature to be able to upgrade your own RAM. This thing can go up to 32 gigs of RAM. You could start with what did you start with? 
Uh, 16. Yeah, so you can start at 16, and then when Black Friday rolls around and there's a great deal at Newegg on RAM, you could throw 32 into this thing, and it's just a matter of taking off the bottom of the laptop. It's not a, you don't have to, it's not a huge deal. Um, it, yeah, it might not, it might not have the same build, I don't know, as a, as a MacBook Pro. I would, I would bet that would probably be hard to do in something that's so, actually serviceable. Yeah. But so there, there's a few things uh, that people have been saying on Twitter that I'm a little concerned about. Right, the trackpad, battery life, and just general build quality. Yeah. Now I have to say, like a MacBook doesn't do super well if you drop it anyway. No, they so dent. Ter- yeah, they do dent. Yeah. Very easily. In terms of general build quality, I don't know if that's a real thing I need to worry about. Um, I carry a mouse with me like a sick weirdo. Okay. Like a, like I, a Ken yeah. Bone kind of guy. If you carry, if yeah, if you go Ken yeah. Bone on your mouse and you always, I have, I have, I, I bring these little Logitech MX Anywhere mice with me. I always have one in my laptop bag. They're just, they're great full-time mice and they're also yeah. great portable mice. I, yeah. I do believe that, I don't believe any company has ever made a trackpad quite like Apple has. Uh, because it's not just the way it feels, which is better than any trackpad. Well, I think but it's also hardware the, software integration there. Yep, that, it's the, it's the yeah. software OS level stuff that only really OS X and Apple are going to be able to pull off. At the same time, I find all trackpads these days to be serviceable on any modern laptop that's like fifth generation Intel or later. I find them all to be serviceable and usable, and I can work on them if I have to, but I still prefer to have my own separate standalone mouse. And you can actually, if you want to go crazy... You can pair the Magic Trackpad or whatever Apple calls it, the the standalone yeah, trackpad. That, you can that, pair. That's it. ridiculous. I just plug it in my Naga mouse and I'm yeah, good to go. Yeah, there you go. But I've actually tried it just an experiment, and you can use it on Linux. So I don't know. I mean, I you know, at home, my full time machine is a Raytel uh, Pro, right? It's the System seventy six Tower. So it's not like this is the first Linux machine by any stretch of the imagination. Um, this is the first built for Linux laptop. And that that's, you know, that's where I've had pain before, right? Uh, trying to slam Linux on laptops like the most recent Dell XPS that my wife commandeered, where the graphics card uh, did not cooperate with Linux. Yeah, you got bit by an early Skylake issue. Yeah, I got bit by a Skylake issue. I've gotten bit by other Dell laptops that were not made for Linux that had all kinds of weird like visual or audio yeah. issues that you you got you got a batch of t- timing and hardware that I think is unprecedented in modern Linux history because well, technically Intel yeah. support is so nailed down in Linux but they just really it fumbled awesome. it with, yeah well and, and to be fair though right sky like sucked for the Microsoft guys I mean go listen to Paul Thrott. he'll tell you how much the, yeah and there's uh, like there's likely yeah. a reason why we never saw a sky like MacBook Pro ship either I think that was actually wise on Apple's part they were just avoiding garbage right um, w- one other thing I would add is, so my, because ex- everything's about in life is about expectations. I'm, I'm starting to find when the FedEx man in his short little purple shorts comes in. Hey, Chris, uh, I gave him your number by the way. <laughs> oh, good. Good. I'm expecting to open this, plug it in, turn it on and have it work so much so that I bought a Dell monitor. Uh, let me see if I can bring it up. It's the, one of the two, it's the cinema display equivalents. Oh, really? Yeah, so I, I'm going full Linux because I, I use a cinema display at work, so obviously that would not, um, you know, work, right? My workstation is very What is, active. you know, here's your, what you're going to have to look into is what you, might, what you might find disappointing is HDMI only supports so high of a resolution and refresh rate. This could be an yeah, issue for you. This could be an issue. 
I, I am slightly concerned about that. You might actually – you may find more success adapting the VGA port because VGA is surprisingly able to go up to extremely high resolution. So you may be able to use the VGA port with an adapter. I heard that, but I heard the VGA refresh rates were kind of garbage. Or oh, something. that could be. And I would imagine, but I've never yeah. tried it. Uh, so a- anyway, right, I'm looking at the Dell UltraSharp. This is what I ordered. I just pasted it in the chat. The uh, U2715H Dell, you need better names for your product lines. I just want to – Throw that out for you, boys. Oh, that's a pretty monitor. Yeah, that is a pretty monitor. It is the exact equivalent of the cinema display I have, but of course, half the price because it's not made by Apple. I bet you could uh, put a link to this in the System76 support page and ask them what your chances are going to be, and they could give you an answer before you even take it out of the box. True. They True. may not have tested it, but they might have an idea of what the maximum resolution that that because there is something because I have run into the problem of Intel graphics and HDMI out and limitations because I have a 2K monitor upstairs, also 27 inch, and I, yeah. I believe it knocks it down to a lower resolution. I'm hoping it can pull off the uh, the 256 or whatever it is. I forgot what it is. 260. Yeah, yeah, that's a great resolution. So yeah. you okay? Here's what I'm trying to get to. So you you got yourself a nice setup, but what I'm trying to what I'm trying to scratch at under the surface is it was – what was it that decided you to move off of the MacBook for your next laptop? Because um, I'm, not, I'm not clear if it's maybe Apple's weird stance on their update frequency. I'm not clear if it's because Linux has become a superior platform for certain types of work. What, ha- what was sort of the deciding factor? Or is it just simply that you could buy two of these a year for one MacBook? Well, you know, that does help, right? I mean, I could literally get bored with this in six months, buy a gazelle and be fine. Yeah, or, or you could – I mean, you, I would not advise this, but you could literally almost afford to buy every other iteration they do of this product and still be ahead. And the other nice thing right. about these System76 products is they seem to have – all they have been updating for this year. I've been watching this particularly to compare it against Apple, and they are they are basically iterating – after every major Intel generation, after they've had some R&D time internally to make sure it works. And they're really staying on top of this stuff. And right now, the Oryx Pro is like an unbelievably powerful machine that a lot of people in our audience are picking up. So there's a few things here, right? One, I wrote a post about this briefly on DominicM.com entitled, Buy MacBook, Hello Lemur. One of the primary drivers of this is that you know, I definitely feel like I want to skate to where the puck is going, to use the old expression. Uh, and granted, given my 50% or 100% failure rate, as discussed on last episode, I could be wrong. Yeah, you say here, I'm making a bet that the puck is going towards yeah. Linux-powered AI, which makes – and then I noticed that somebody – who was it in the subreddit? Uh, yeah. Werner in the subreddit said, ah, so that means we should bet against Linux-powered AI. Got it. But you make a good point because I think what what you're really getting, if you can transition your workload over to Linux, is you're getting a universal platform that isn't necessarily even tied to System76. Well, it's it's even less than that. I'm getting a platform that more matches where the actual functionality and actual complexity right. of the software that I'm developing but is. But I think right? that independence is what's going to make it a standout platform for AI and bot development. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I mean, one of one of my largest clients right now is an iOS app with a Linux backend, and the iOS app is basically a pseudo pretty front end to a really complicated Rails app on a Linux server, right? The actual challenge of that project has nothing to do with the iOS app, right? The the biggest pain in the ass is oh my god, auto layout constraints suck. Yeah. Where there's a whole there's payment processing, there's all kinds of stuff going on on the Linux side that frankly are more interesting. I will and, say this too. I think, you know, sometimes in the past uh when you were kind of hoping when you're embedding on RT 
or Android Wear, um, I, I, I kind of listen like, okay, you make a compelling case, and I think in both cases you released compelling products. I'm like, oh, right, that does make sense for that platform. Uh, but I never really felt like that was the direction the puck was actually going, and I thought, boy, if he's right, he's going to have a hit. But I don't; it doesn't feel like it's the right direction. This seems like an obvious direction because of because of Linux's presence on the cloud and the very back end nature and compute requirements well, of right. AI and bots. This seems well, like. I, a, and let's be you know bigger picture here, other than little tiny ass Buccaneer tech in a crappy two room office in Eatontown, right? Let's think about you know. Google and Apple and Microsoft and where what are the headline grabbing things other than ooh new shiny hardware that we can send to Walt Mossberg? Well, it's AI, it's Google Home, it's Google AI, it's um Cortana, which Microsoft, you know, is kind of repurposing for the Microsoft Bot framework, which I have to say we haven't covered much since I initially brought it up, but is super interesting. Um maybe a future episode. Right. It's some of these open source bot tools. Uh, there's one in Golang that in particular I think is really good. Uh, it's Mycroft, though I do have to say I don't know how Mycroft is going to end up stacking up to MS Bot Framework. Or, you know, let me tell you what it's not, though, right? It's not Siri. Uh, it's not, you know, I hate to say this, but in a lot of ways, the front end design stuff of iOS apps I feel like is very aggressively becoming commoditized. Yeah. Which is not a place I want to live in because I have a wife and a kid. Yeah, but I don't feel like you yeah. can make much stronger of an argument on any other plat- mobile platform either. Well, I think it's about staying current, right? We, we talked about this on like episode 10 or something where you know the cycle is roughly five years. And this has been far more than five years that I've been relatively loyal to the iOS Android ecosystem. And it, we're getting to the point where yeah. you know everybody that should have an app yeah. – is either having one or yeah. they know how to develop one for and, not that much. And money. also the other side, the market sort of decided where they value apps from both the user purchasing perspective and the people looking to have these created. And I don't think it's where you want it to be. Well, I, I think it's, you know, it, let, right, let's be brutal. It's really, really tough to compete with, you know, Upwork, although there's an article about that in the subreddit. Yeah. Right, which, but, you know, Hundred dollars an hour versus ten dollars an hour. <laughs> that's, a, that's a hell of a competition, right? I don't know, and it's not what I want to do, to be honest, anymore. I mean, I don't mind building iOS apps. I don't mind building Android apps. I do it all the time, but I definitely think that they've become mature enough that you know it is a service I offer. It is my mm-hmm. primary service, mm-hmm. but. That is probably not the ten years out future. Yeah, and you know the other thing. Think about it. In some sense. Linux is becoming such a dominant platform and really, I mean, Ubuntu in such yeah, a big way is, is the biggest platform. Yeah. I mean, this this is a little scary. There is a side story here about kind of an Ubuntu sort of hegemony. I agree. But if you look at yeah. it from the if you look at it from the advantage that that market presence gives you as a developer to target it, you're not you don't have to worry about is this going to go is this going to sell better or do better in the iOS app store or is this going to be a better on Android and how should I model this because in in this space in, and specifically for businesses a lot of them are already going to be running Linux and there's going to be the differences between Red Hat and Ubuntu for development are becoming less and less and right. there's going to be people willing to pay because it's business stuff it's enterprise right. let's stuff. let's be clear right so I see the front ends of this software being iOS apps Android apps web apps that makes sense or at least I don't think one they go away. 
but I think they become the kind of junior level hire a designer plus one or two junior devs on a 1099 commoditized part of the equation. Yeah. I don't think they are the thing that I'm able to go in and bid, you know, a, a six figure contract for. But it might be part of you can come and say we can build this part of it. And as part of the entire package, my team can right, also. Yeah, right, it's a, it's part of the service, but it is not the primary service. Right. Um. And, and we're seeing this already. I mean, I, I wish I remember the names of the app, uh, but there's a there's an app out there on the iOS store and the Google Play store where you can ask it like history questions and it's a bot. And all it is is a very thin, like I think it's actually a React Native interface to some AI uh, Microsoft bot framework functionality huh. on the web. In fact, it, it may be made by Microsoft for all I know. But it, all it does is, you know, it's a very slick, very quick, but very simple iOS app. And all the love is happening or all the magic is happening on the server. That is, I think, where we're going. And you know what? As a developer, that makes a lot of sense to me because there's nothing worse than having a bug in a, in a heavy client where you have to go through app review to get it fixed. Especially when there is it's, – it's not just a multi-platform world that you have to deliver apps for, but it's on desktops, in web browsers, on yes. tablets, on phones, even possibly on watches potentially on what these people want. And so having the logic on the back-end server where you can add as much networking and compute and storage as you need, it just seems obvious once the connectivity is sufficient enough to deliver the results fast enough, which – we're getting there, and of course, if it's a business, they'll make it work with good Wi-Fi or Ethernet connections or whatever. It, it, it just seems like it's an obvious direction. So having more familiarity on your laptop with it and working with this tool set is probably going to better position you. Whenever you switch to a new platform, you have like these these modes. First, it's all of the cool stuff you could never do before. Oh, wow, they finally do this right. Or they thought of this. That's great. And then... And then you get to the parts that are challenging, the stuff that doesn't work so good. That's episode 230. All right. I, I, uh, my heart sank a little bit when I saw this tweet. Uh, Mr. Dominic tweets me, uh-oh, I just had a kernel panic on my beloved Rattel. So not the new rig, but the older no, rig. No, the, uh, the Rattel Pro was uh, – yeah. So she, you're sitting uh, there plugging away working bro. or what, what was your – were you browsing the web? What, so what are you doing? I, I hit something in the audio driver. Um, oh, really? I in, yeah. I, I plugged in a new audio device. I was listening to music via YouTube Red, plug, plug, plug. Oh, my God. I was going to make a joke about Katy Perry uh, music videos on YouTube when you tweeted me that. And that's it actually was what... actually Tiffany Alvord. <laughs> okay. I can't believe I was close, though. <laughs> and I was going to be derogatory. Cover. I was going to be like, yeah. ha that's what you get for watching so much YouTube. Your, your computer's so... revolting. <laughs> Well, I plugged in an audio device, and it just freaked out and crashed. Wow. So you get the thing you turn on. It's like your Plug computer. and crash. Yeah. And it turns out there is some weird interplay you can occasionally get if you're plugging in a new audio device, and Chrome is like streaming audio. Uh-huh. Yeah, that doesn't it surprise me It seems like much. it's a Chrome issue, not a system yeah, it's too bad issue. it would. Oh, yeah, but it was too bad it would take down the whole system, though. Well, it's weird that it's not like isolated. Like, like at the very least, you know— Chrome should have crashed, or maybe even just the tab. This is not, fascinating. I wonder if, yeah. I mean, so why? Here's here's in my my view the way this should have worked is if anything, maybe Pulse Audio could have crashed. Unless Chrome is trying to talk to the audio hardware directly. I wonder if they're you know, trying I, to do some sort of funky bypass magic. I know Chrome does weird stuff on Mac that can like hose your system, bypass the pulse. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that Chrome does that, right? Hmm. But yes, it was not Katy Perry. It was Tiffany Albert. Was that your first uh, Colonel Panic? Yes, on the Raytel. 
Yes. Wait, are you implying that the Lemur is crashing? Uh, the Lemura has crashed. Really? Yes. And this is all Ubuntu 1604? Well, it's 04 on the Raytail and mm. 10 on mm-hmm. the, okay. the, uh, the, I call it the Lemur, but apparently it's Lemur. The Lemur. Lemur, yes, Lemur. Actually, um, I think it is Lemur, but yeah. You know, these are the same kind of crashes you would sometimes get a Mac, right? You're changing from clamshell mode to non-clamshell mode, and the screen flick freaks out. And the, oh, okay. He yeah. crashes. Yeah. You know, anything with audio or video seems a little risky. I have been using the Lemur more in uh, laptop mode recently, and it is not holding up nearly as well in laptop mode as clamshell mode. What do you now, mean holding up? Like battery-wise? Well, battery-wise for sure. Um, but also, it's just very loud. You're telling me mode. it runs better when you're running it with the screen closed? Yes. <laughs> How does that uh, how does that compute, Mr. Dominic? Well, it seems like it'd be running hotter with the screen closed. So I have a theory. I have a theory that it's not running better. That because it is on the other side of a desk, you know, away from me, I don't hear the fan. Right? I don't feel the heat. When it's on my lap in laptop mode, I hear the fan, and the fan's pretty loud. It's not horrible, but it's definitely noticeable yeah, when yeah, you're, yeah. particularly in Ruby Mine. I noticed like running any kind of like rake operation, I could definitely feel that baby crank up. Um, this is a tough one because I think in one in one way, especially later model MacBooks, they might have the the one of their more quieter uh, cooling systems, but the other they're also doing more thermal throttling too. So right. it's kind of a win lose. Well, it's a question of like how obnoxious is this fan noise versus do you want to downclock, right? And I'm running an i7, so it's extra hot. Um, you know, it's been interesting. I'm still pretty happy with the Lemur, but I, I definitely would say that it does not have a great showing in laptop mode without a mouse. So I don't understand what you mean by that. But you mean, you mean like uh, the trackpad and the battery life are bad. Hmm. What do you mean when you say it doesn't have a good yeah, show? Yeah, like, I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying or to Or do you I mean, just mean like the experiencing of using it is underwhelming you? Well, let me let me go into a white room with a black room. <laughs> and maybe have a slight accent. I don't know. <laughs> right you are, God. Oh, no, no, God. Oh, jeez. Don't, don't, let's not do the accent. Let's not. <laughs> let's leave the accent <laughs> at the door. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, uh, overall experience in laptop mode is pretty rough, uh, hmm. kind of on the couch. The trackpad not on a surface is basically not super usable. Mm. Again, I find Max not super usable either, not on a desk. So this is, you know, not that bad. But one thing I did notice was the fan noise. I mean, that was really, really starting to get to me. And I don't, you know, I'm, I'm kind of of two minds to it. Like you, I don't want thermal downclocking all the time, right? And you wanted like, an i7 too. And I wanted an i7 but I don't think launching RubyMine ought to like crank up the fan like that. And it's a little weird. Yeah, you know, I definitely noticed that my MacBook 2013, uh, it runs the fans more and louder under Linux than it does under the Mac. But I always attribute that to the thermals are so much different and Apple has so many drivers that they don't release that. I don't, right. I don't really know what it, but I do notice it runs hotter under Linux. That's that is for sure. Now I have other systems like my Apollo, which is Skylake. It doesn't it doesn't tend to get loud that often unless I really right. push it. 
Well, to be totally unfair to the lemur, like the Raytel is silent, which it's a desktop and it has lots of room for like natural cooling and all yeah, that. And a larger stuff. CPU cooling fan, which is a big difference in terms of noise. But I would say, you know, in terms of if I had to pick only one System76 Linux computer, I would probably keep the Raytel. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. you know, for me, just because I'm recording, uh, the machine sound is a really, really big deal. And I was having issues with it just yesterday. I just I, I I don't like the sound of computer fans when I'm recording, and I I have so many computers in here. It's still a bit of an issue. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, w- you know, having said that, would I be willing to pay double for the equivalent MacBook? No, right. I mean, yeah, I wonder def- if that's the question. Like, if yeah. if this is a work tool. Uh, like we mentioned last week, I think it was, you could buy two of these a year for the cost of a MacBook, or more, actually. And so every iter- you could, in theory, buy every iteration of the System76, every small upgrade they do and tweak, and still be, if you say, how I say you buy a new Mac every couple of years, right? or every year in some cases, I don't know, it, it, there is some trade-offs, and I wonder if... I wonder if we have all sort of collectively been convinced to fall harder on the side of thin light and quiet, and if it isn't worth. Well, I, I will say though that the if I was more of a traditional laptop user and I didn't run my machines in clamshell mode, the trackpad, you know, the first couple of days it was fine, the first week it was fine, but now, you know, sitting on the couch with the misses and having the baby crawling around, it's like okay, I need to tra- I need to be able to do things fast, and having a trackpad that doesn't feel accurate mm. is. Pretty annoying. Like and this the, is the stock install, right? Yeah, this is the stock mm-hmm. install. Okay. The uh, you know the fan noise, I can, I, I honestly, I can put up with, right? I've got the TV going, I've got music on, and you know it's really weird. It it comes on and it comes off because it's obviously hitting some sort of thermal metric yeah. running and yeah. turning off. And using Chrome, probably right, because that's what seems to turn my fan. I'm on. always in Chrome, and I'm yeah, always yep, got streaming. Mm-hmm. So, yep. and you know, every JetBrains IDE is basically a big bag of Java, so it's probably using a ton of memory, right? So there's there's reasons that like it could get hot that makes sense, but the fact that I'm I just can't like effectively use this laptop on my lap on the other side of the couch for my wife means that I can't use it as a laptop without like a table or a tray or something. So that is kind of, that is frustrating and that is a, a, a function of the trackpad. Mm. And I'm not sure, you know, remember System76 is not a sponsor of this show. I am not sure how they would resolve that considering that they just repackage, you know, other people's hardware, right? Yeah, there. well, there is, as you probably know, there is very much a software component to make a good trackpad. Yeah, and there is there is, there is tweaks they can make there because they have a System seventy six driver, which I assume would be installed on your system. It is pre installed. I mean, there's something they you can tweak. I, I would yeah. imagine they've probably pushed it as far as they can. I mean, there's yeah. not a there is there is I don't I don't have a lot of experience with Lenovo current laptops, but even I mean, I don't there is not a lot of laptops out there that have good trackpads. I actually kind of like the touch point things, whatever the little nipples oh, are. Yeah. The old, uh, the old little red nipples. Yeah, because they're quick and accurate. Yeah, they're accurate. I mean, I whipped out my wife's Dell XPS just to like try the trackpad there, and it's not much better. So, th- I'm still willing to say that like the System76 Lemur is within the band of crappy non-Apple trackpads. Yeah, that new MacBook has a much bigger trackpad. See, is, does that help? I think it might. See, I'm not sure that it's size. I, I it's like. Read accuracy and like scrolling accuracy. Oh, sure, like sure, yeah. But I do feel like the most PC laptop trackpads are still too small. 
But yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. There is. I don't. I don't really have an accuracy issue with the bonobo that I have here. I just still don't prefer the trackpad much to a regular mouse. But well, I don't. If I if I whip out a tray or if I whip out a little table, um, and I whip out a mouse, it's totally fine, right? Hmm. I don't know what that is. I don't know if you could hear it through the mic. I heard something. It sounded like, sounds maybe. like a, the Raptors, the System 76 Raptors are about to rip down the floor. <laughs> the, the drones they sent in. The drones. <laughs> <laughs> you want um, accuracy? Here's some accuracy. Wouldn't it be, you see, this is, here's the huge advantage that Apple has what, by having stores where you could go. Because like if you went into a System 76 store and you could try out all of their laptops and you discovered that the, one of the other models uh, had a right. better trackpad, you know, you just don't know. It's And it's kind of, and keyboard and trackpad are kind of big items. And They're I, huge. And, and I almost hate knocking them for the trackpad because, you know, my good trackpad may not be your good trackpad, right? Like the guy next to me who's literally asleep listening to the show right now loves the MacBook One keyboard, the stupid uh, little no, the one with no travel. Yeah, I hate it. So I, I'm totally willing to say that this is like a preference thing. And I'm kind of a mouse click keyboard kind of guy. You know, there is a um, there is a Unity. The desktop has a uh, has a HUD feature where you can use the keyboard to navigate around most of the screen. Ooh, it might it might be worth looking into. You might want to dig around and look at Unity HUD because you can uh, you can use the keyboard to probably do some of the things you might want to accomplish with the mouse. It's kind of nice. It's one of the nicer things that people don't really talk about on the Unity desktop. Um, I will try that. Um, so I would also, I also would just wonder what it, this is a waste of time, most likely, but uh, you could always, you could always try another live environment and see if you feel like the mouse works differently. And the reason why it's not totally crazy, <clears throat> say you went with something like Antigross, you would be, you would be getting a slightly newer kernel, possibly, although 1610 is pretty, pretty freaking current, um, which would have a different driver. And you would be using a different desktop environment, which would be communicating with that driver differently. And there, uh, there are some, there are sometimes differences there. Uh, Unity is the one true desktop environment. Yeah, and I w- yeah, and if that's what you're comfortable, I wouldn't really. It's not really worth the effort. Um, well, one thing you have to keep in mind, right? Like for work purposes, this laptop is great, and I have a very, and I've gotten a couple things on Twitter from people. Oh, just install this beta of this version of something, and I'm like, no, because I'm. You know, I went with Ubuntu Unity, not because I think Unity is particularly good. I think it's fine, but it's super supported and super stable, right? Which is a very boring reason and very pragmatic reason to pick a desktop environment. <laughs> but no, unless I you want to use it as a work tool. Well, that's what it is, right? It is. I mean, I, I live in Android Studio and RubyMine. So... I guess you know one thing yeah. might be worth trying. I, know I hate I hate it when people recommend this, so don't do it. Don't do what I'm about to say. But it might be interesting if you booted into an elementary OS live environment and just saw what it was. Just because then you're still on an Ubuntu core system. I'm sorry, you mean Mac OS 14? Uh, you know, people give it a hard time, but if what well, you know, it's kind of like well, some of the desi- design d- design things that they have implemented. Are probably just a good way of doing it. Like I really, the thing they get the most hard time for is their system center, like their system control panel. Mm. But it, it's also there's something to be said to have something simple enough that I can look at it for five seconds and understand how to use the entire interface. I mean, there's just something to be said for uh, that. I mean, I'm in Unity right now. I would say that the Unity control panel is pretty yeah. relatively simple, right? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. I, so I don't know. I, if you you know the thing is legitimately okay, I'll tell you a couple of things that are nicer. 
Uh, the way the windows render on the screen look nicer. The, the applications look more consistent. The application launcher is a little different, but kind of cleaner. Uh, a little less tacky, I think. Um, and the notifications are way better than Unity notifications. They're so much better than the, the – I hate the Unity desktop notifications. It's one of the most criminal offenses of the Unity desktop is they haven't fixed those in the last 35 years they've been shipping that desktop. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, wait, I just – 45 years. Um, so, it, I mean, I'm not trying to convince you to reload your computer, but it, it is sometimes interesting to see if another implementation fixes trackpad issues. Because there, I can tell you by doing a lot of distro reviews, one of the things I now test is how it handles the trackpad, what features of the trackpad it lets you configure, like tap to click and speed and uh, touch to scroll and stuff like that. All the, you know, that's now a part of my review because the implementations are different enough that I consistently have to check for it. If you get bored, and the thing is it's low risk because you just have to <clears> – <throat> You can install Etcher if you want, which is a great tool to write uh, ISO images to USB sticks and burn it and just boot off of a live USB stick and just use the mouse. And if you don't notice a difference, you know, reboot and you're done. So it's a pretty easy test. Although don't do it because I hate it when people recommend try this thing, load this thing, install this thing. That's always the worst answer ever because you just want your existing work environment. So don't do it. Unless you get yeah, bored or just curious. I assure you that uh, I am very against trying new things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good for you. That's a good, healthy, long-term strategy. What could go wrong? <laughs> Following the switch to Linux for Mike has been fascinating, and it's not even done yet. But there was something that hit us just out of nowhere. Well, at least me. I don't know. Maybe you saw it coming. But Pokemon Go. Remember how crazy Pokemon Go was? Okay. So... Apparently, um, I leave for a week, and Nintendo becomes an app business. <laughs> I just caught a Weedle during the DOS. <laughs> Are you serious? I'm serious. <laughs> yeah, they've made like, uh, since they've launched this, this is unbelievable. They've made like $7 billion or something. No, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Their uh, company valuation is up $70 billion. Their stock's yeah. going crazy. That's what it was. That's, that, that makes more way more sense anyways. So for those of you who maybe were on vacation like I was um, – it's an augmented VR game that's made by Nintendo and the people that made uh, – what's that Google game where, they, where you go out in the real world on – Oh, in um, – oh, what the hell was I it? I know. I'm a dummy. I'm losing it. But uh, the, So Nintendo partnered with the people like uh, uh, Ingress. Thank you, Rikai. In, and the people behind Ingress. And they came out and they've made this Pokemon VR or AR game. And it's gone like gangbusters. Now, a lot of people are, are claiming it's um, – it's, it's nostalgia that's making people play it. But I don't think so. I, I couldn't give two craps about Pokemon, and I'm still tempted to install this thing and play it. I think they actually are on an interesting gameplay element here, and this is what we've been waiting for. We have been waiting for Nintendo to enter the mobile gaming market. We have been wondering where, where they are. We've been wondering why some of the great Nintendo platforms and IP have not come over to mobile. And so when they finally did it, they seem to have freaking nailed it. And I, I thought the app boom was over, Mike. Yeah, I was insane. Nintendo was like, all right, people say they can't make money. Watch this. It's awesome. Since you've been talking about them, I have evolved my Kakuna into a Beedrill and my Pidgeotto into whatever his next bird-like form is. And do you know why? Hmm. Because it's addicting. It's just crap. <laughs> and it makes you get up and move around, which is nice. I have walked more in the last three days than I think I have in the last three years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there is <clears> – <throat> I think uh, it just – I think maybe for another day, a bigger category topic is 
how apps and technology can be used in a way to gamify health. Because just now that I have a wearable and I have a streak of how many days I've been walking, I've been active for, like, it's really, it's minimal stuff. Walking for 30 minutes a day, like, that's, that's not that big of a deal. But if I don't have, like, a little bit of a, a number to hit, a game reason, I don't tend to worry about it. But when I have a watch that says, hey, man, you walk for another 15 minutes or you walk for another five minutes and you've once again met your goal for another day, I, I, I do it. And I it think there, when you can make it fun like this, have you ever, have you ever heard of that app called uh, Zombie Run? Which is a yes. running where zombies yeah. are chasing you and you run, and it's a that's another example of this. This though is a little simpler. Um, it does touch on some cultural phenomenons that people are familiar with. So it is going like gangbusters as we record this episode. It's all over the the the, the, the twitters, the the mainstream media's. Pokemon Go's huge, and you know what? I actually think they did a good job. They've had some server hiccups. Yeah. I can't imagine the level of uh, challenge developing something like this is. Geocaching. It reminds me of geocaching, too. Yeah, there's that. The data sets you'd have to have. And, you know, this has not been flawless. Like, you've probably heard the stories of Pokemon being in the police office and Pokemon being in the grocery store. And yeah. You've probably heard yeah. those stories, yeah. You, there, I mean, there's a couple funny ones, right? The, uh, you know, making the churches all the Pokemon <laughs> centers. <laughs> Nintendo says get to church. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so do you think this is going to be a game changer for Nintendo? I think, uh, they should repeat this success. That's for sure. So they launched it on iOS and Android and but they launched it in a really weird way. Right? Oh, I didn't catch that. I was on the road. Yeah. So it was on the Google play store, but not set. Cause you can, as a developer, set it to device compatibility, set to compatible with no devices. So therefore no one can download it. So you could look at it. You could look at the screenshots and basically be tortured if you were really wanting it. Oh, man. And what happened is, there was some, well, of course, now that people know this game's available, um, and it was made available in New Zealand, which they haven't said anything publicly, but it does sound like there was like an Australia-New Zealand uh, like server test for about 24 hours. Folks put um, APKs, you know, because it's Android, right? Pirated APKs. Yep. In a go-go in the chat so they're side-loading in the UK right now. Yeah, the problem was many of those were actually uh, malware infected. Oh no, of course. Yeah, so there's been a rash of people, predominantly you know, tech savvy people who don't have higher end <laughs> devices, getting their fo- Android phones infected with malware because they could not wait a day to get the Pokemon. Go. <laughs> I was one of them. Yeah, really. <laughs> I did the side and I was like, shit, and I wiped the phone. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, I have not tried it myself, but um, I have felt a little bit of a temptation. I will admit to that. So the game is being played by an average. This is the other thing I think that really is kind of a big deal. 43 minutes a day. So people aren't just downloading this thing and closing it. They're spending more time in this than they are on WhatsApp or Instagram. Oh, it is. I mean, Chris, I'm playing it right now. It's in uh, in the United States, Australia, New Zealand, as we record this. It's going to be launching in Japan, which is a huge market for Nintendo uh, soon. The game yeah, itself weird that it didn't launch in Japan at the same time. Yeah, uh, Niantic or Niantic, I think is how is the company that made Ingress. They're the ones behind it. So, so there, there's a revenue Google, split here. There is a right, revenue. There is, you know, there are Google spin out, right? Yeah. So they they were Google uh, people mm-hmm. that then got spun out to their own corporation. So 
and there is some expensive like uh, in in game coins you can buy and things yep. like that. So they're going to make some money on this too. Well, good. You know what? Congratulations to Nintendo. Really. Hey, somebody's got to make money on the App Store. Oh, oh, uh, and you know, to tell you the truth, uh, they're making some money, and but the but the, the app itself is free, and I think that tells you something. And you can totally play it for free too. So. Uh, so before we get into one of the big topics of the week, I just want to get your prediction on the record. Do you think this is the beginning of Nintendo transforming to an app company? Do you yeah. think no? Okay, I don't either. I think it's going to become part of their thing, but I don't think it. I don't think it's. Going to, they're not good. Well, to, yeah. I mean, you know what yeah, I meant I, though by that is I meant sort of like how how Apple is really an iPhone company. They still make Macs, but they're really an iPhone company. Well, but remember, right? This game is made by a a developer who they've contracted with at arm's length, and they're doing a revenue share, right? Yeah, it's, it's this a toe in the water for them. Internally, being like, we're going to be on open platforms that we don't control. Right. Here's the thing, though, Mike, is it does shatter their old argument they've now had for like six years, the Nintendo experience depends on a unique collaboration of the hardware controller and the game creation. And if we don't create the controller for the game, we don't feel like we can make a great game. That's been their line now for five, six years. This proves that dead wrong. Well, you know, Nintendo traditionally has a, a bad case of the non-invented years. My, my question would be, does some Nintendo executives see the ridiculous amount of money they're going to make on this or are already making on this and say, okay, guys, we need to port our, our back catalog? I, I don't see it. Right? I don't see it either. Mm-mm. No, I mean, I would love it. I would love to go get the Mario series. I just, uh, I don't I think that. they would. Because the truth is, the worst part about their products from a technology perspective is their underpowered and overpriced hardware. <laughs> Right, like, and 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 frankly, you know, development-wise, they had a hard time getting into the high def world. You can read about it. They had like technically a hard time doing it. Um, I don't know if they're not like the what can happen if you're like Apple and it goes wrong, because their big successes as I have recent successes have actually been few and far between, right? They have, they, and, and, and where they have had success really is like in the DS. They're more mobile stuff. Yeah, but not, kind of not, not to the level of like, you know, Halo, right? When you're talking to the <laughs> gaming industry, right? sure, all success is relative, but come on. Yeah. You know, it, I wouldn't be shocked if this game is their biggest revenue generator for the year. You know, I specifically was looking for information on that, and I just think it's too early. I haven't seen anything on that, but yeah, me too. I agree. I, I because the overhead once once everybody has these apps installed, like the, the 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 mad rush will end. It'll it'll start slowly falling down the top downloaded charts. It's at the top right now, um, but they have a freaking cash machine built in there in the form of like uh, these in app purchases where they just. It's just a money making machine. You you keep and, and some of the, some of the coins in there are over a hundred bucks. You go, you know some of the bags of coins and stuff you can buy are like a hundred and something bucks in this game. Like we're yeah, talking we're talking real money in this thing. And some of them are way cheaper. They're, yeah. This is the thing is it's got a built in ATM for Nintendo. Yeah, I, but I think you're I think you're missing one one vital point in that you know if you wanted to play a Pokemon game, right? Like I'm of the age where you know, Pokemon was something when I was yeah. a child. Uh-huh. I would never go out and buy a Nintendo DS or Game Boy or whatever it's called to do that at this juncture. But I have an iPhone. I have an Android phone. 
I would certainly download it. Because why not, right? You've made it a free download of something that's mildly nostalgic. Yeah, and here's the here's the logic because I get caught up in it. The game's free. I'm loving the hell out of this game, and if I can buy something that makes me love this game even more and it's cheap, I'll buy it. I'll do the in-app purchase. Yeah, and, and I, I, yeah. I mean, I've already bought the Kaka coin. Oh! <laughs> Five dollars only. Let's not. Be, <laughs> yeah, so I shame bought a pack of coins because you know what. <laughs> I walked, according to this, already four kilometers just playing the stupid game. Oh, it keeps track of that for you. Right, it keeps track of Oh, it. very smart. Yeah. That's clever. Look at them. Look at them. Well, you know, Mr. Dominic, I uh, may have to check it out. I don't know. that. I do like the idea of, I mean, if I, I'm already going on walks. So if I'm already going on walks, why not make them a little more fun? The only thing I will say is uh, I live next to two public parks. Mm-hmm. For- relatively close to them and there's nothing creepier or i'm i'm very concerned that i'm going to have my phone out be walking past the children's playground and just feel a taser oh man oh man (laughs) (laughs) bye sir (laughs) you know what i thought was creepy and i didn't go there what i went is something in the chat room said whereas you know there's a certain amount of power you have here as a game developer because say it's election day Let's say the let's say the vote for the Brexit's happening, and, and now they have it, like they have it in the UK, and everybody's down. Or or twenty sixteen elections happening here in the uh, US, and uh, they decide one day to flip a switch and make sure a bunch of rare Pokemon are at voting centers to get to encourage the public to go out and vote. Now that seems like a good thing, but the psychological manipulation that's happening there, at, and and the and the end result of getting people to come out and vote. Well, very well could lead to Donald Trump getting elected. <laughs> okay, but, I mean, I most places you would work at, right, will give you, you know. No, I know. Just the power. What I really, what I'm really saying is, the power they have as a as a as a developer is to move people to certain locations, oh, churches, sure. uh, you know, uh, uh, grocery stores, um, police offices. They they have an interesting that this particular game has an interesting influence over the public. And I do wonder how much stronger is Google's data sensor uh, becoming as I play this game. Do you th- oh so you think that they're getting da- Google's getting data? I don't know, right? Because the, the company that uh, Yadik, whatever their name is, is spun out from Google, but this is all built on the Google Map API. Yeah. Oh right? right, of course it That's is. That's what yeah, this game is. is. Yep, yeah, yep. it is. No, they say it is. Um, in fact, it says Google on it somewhere in the marketing materials. Yeah. So I'm not wondering if they're and, – and why wouldn't they, right? You have all these people now on foot walking around traversing these areas. Why wouldn't you now use that data to yeah. – Yeah, even if you're just getting tr- flow data and stuff like that. I mean, right, traffic flow or yeah. you know, is, is there a lake where you didn't know there was a lake, right? Things like that. Oh, man, the possibilities of that. I know we've talked or, about it before in terms of ingress, but just the idea of the kind of data that they could get back and improve their own service on. Well, think about this. Um, when you when you go to catch a Pokemon, it does the alternate um, reality thing. So you see the po- you've seen the pictures. Like it's like yeah. a Pidgey. Yeah. Why not analyze those pictures? Right. Use your machine learning technology to run analysis on the picture. Obviously, abstract out the Pokemon because you don't care about that, and just analyze the terrain and match it against what your Google Map system thinks it should be. You could. They could even potentially. Just do some of that locally and not have to send the entire image off-site. They could – Yeah, but, you know. (laughs) Yeah. But to send it off-site, that's a lot of data and a lot of battery. I mean the the game is not kind on your battery. No, actually you're right. I was reading an article about that. It's it's very aggressive with the battery. 
Oh, you know what? You're doing augmented reality Pokemon fetching and catching. I mean, come on. Yeah, what do so you expect? Not life. <laughs> I don't know anything about Pokemon, but it sounds interesting. It's pretty good. I think this is the beginning of a new genre. Don't you? I think it is, too. I could see a lot of games like this. And, and I, I could see a lot of like tie-in games like this, right? You have like a major console game. Oh, man. And you have the AR tie-in. That's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. That, that could really extend the console game quite a bit. I bet we'll see that. I bet we will. And that brings us to the end of this look back of the year. It's been really fascinating, some of the trends that have, after you look at it from like, you know, the hindsight view that have sort of emerged. That's really fascinating to see that. And also, it's been great to watch Mike's switch to Linux, to see him transition more from mobile development to server-side development, especially as bots and AI come up. An interesting year 2016 was. Thank you for being here for it. If you'd like to submit content to the show, go to radio.reddit.com. If you'd like to give us feedback, go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and uh, leave yourself a, uh, a comment there. Uh, yeah, just choose Coda Radio from the dropdown. <clears throat> and now, normally we would be live over at jblive.tv on a Monday. But because these are the best ofs, not live. Not live right now. But if you go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar, you can find it there. And, wh- and find out when we are live. And while you're there, just grab the RSS feed. Then you don't have to worry about it. I'm at Chris LAS on Twitter. If you'd like to tweet at me, you can follow the network at Jupiter Signal. Find our host, Mike, at Dumanuko on Twitter. And we'll see you right back here next week. I need I need more volume. I need more I I can't I can't leave without more volume. This is the best of. Hey! Hey Beard! More volume! You gotta put something else. Can't be me right here. Can't put my face up here right now, Rika. Can't be this. Don't put this face up here. Okay, you can put my face up there.